Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Today we're going to talk about the under-20 player pool. The U-20 World Cup kicks off in 10 months, qualifying happens in November, and there's every reason for serious fans of the U.S. men's national team to pay attention. We saw promising young players in the three friendlies before the World Cup, and if you listen to this pod regularly, you know we're high on Weston McKinney and Josh Sargent, Tyler Adams, and Anthony Robinson, Eric Palmer-Brown, Keaton Parks, but if we're going to make a credible World Cup run in 2022 and eventually in 2026, we need more talent across the board. More depth, better attackers, more creative midfielders, smoother, stronger, faster, more technical center backs. The U-20s are where largely that talent will come from, and there's evidence over time that sustained success in the U-20 World Cup foreshadows senior team success. Examples are Ghana in the mid to late 90s, Spain at the turn of the millennia, Colombia in the late 2000s, and then Chile. The U.S. has made the quarterfinals of each of the last two U-20 World Cups. 2019 will be a chance to match that, surpass it, or regress. And we can use a discussion of the U-20 player pool to take a look at the next generation of players in general. So that's what's up. And we've got a special guest today who knows as much about this stuff as anybody, Joey Antone, a.k.a. at USA Prospects on Twitter, the Dean of Dual National Studies and one of the closest observers of young American soccer talent alive. Welcome to the pod, Joey. How you doing? I'm doing well. I don't know if I can live up to that title, but uh, I'm excited to talk about the pool. Um, I've been looking forward to this for about a month now, so let's get to it. Oh, I stand by the intro completely. It was there's no hyperbole in it. You are the <laughs> you are the the dean of like following this stuff. I I should mention for everybody, we're not going to get into our backgrounds much here. But if you want to know more about Joey's background, you should listen to his interview with John Pronich on the 343 podcast. Fascinating story. You've been doing this since when now, Joey? Yeah, I, I think the first real U.S. youth national team I was following was in 2005 uh, during that World Cup, U-20 World Cup, when Freddie Adu was playing. I think it was in Holland, uh, that, that World Cup. And I really got into it, you know. Um, Freddie Adu was one of those names that was pretty pretty out there, and I just got really sucked into the U- U.S. youth national team world uh, and just really uh, could not quench my appetite for learning about young American players and you know the, the process they go through and, and, and what kind of opportunities they get. So ever since that, I've been really following it pretty pretty closely. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, nobody, yeah. nobody has as many contacts or is as like closely watching this as you are. So anyway, let's start by looking at the camp that that is currently underway in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then get into sort of some questions that face Tab Ramos, the head coach of the U-20s. So this current camp, what's your, what's your take on it, Joey? Well, we've been we've been talking a little bit off off pot about it and I know a lot of fans have too and um I mean there's definitely some talent uh in the most recent camp that was just called in. But I mean, a, a lot of the bigger names or a lot of the players that have really showed well over the last couple of months are absent. And I, I think that's a, a promising thing. I think if there's anything that I've been hoping uh, for U.S. soccer to do, it was just, you know, in, invite new faces to camps. And a lot of the guys that are there right now aren't brand new faces. There's a couple brand new faces. Um, but but just, just to see the kind of depth of, of a pool, 
um, has me excited. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we don't have many camps until qualifying. And so it's kind of one of those things where we got to start getting down to the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, who, who are guys that we're going to really be counting on this November in Florida to get us to the World Cup. Um, and when I look at the roster right now, I do see some holes in some areas where maybe the guys who are missing who are either off on trials or with their first teams. Um, I think there's a big, pretty big gap between some of those players and the players that were called in. Um, and so that's a little concerning, um, but but we'll have to see kind of how things progress and uh, the kind of word we get out of camp um, over the next week. Yeah, the camp goes from uh, Sunday, the 15th, to the 22nd. So it's one week. It's a short camp, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I mean, my sense of it is it's like a at best a B team, right? I mean, yeah. the, the Ledesma, Richie Ledesma is there. And Sebastian Soto was initially supposed to be there, but isn't there, right? Yeah, he's he's not currently there. I think there's still two players missing. Ledesma got there today, uh, and I think he trained with the team today. But he he was, uh, I think he he had he had arrived today from PSV. Um, so that's good because I do think he's one of the uh, I think he's one of the cornerstones to this team, which is interesting. And we'll get we'll get we'll get to this a little later, I'm sure. But um, I mean, a year ago today, I mean, the name Richie Ledesma was not a name that was on anybody's radar uh, for the U20 team in 2019. And so that's exciting. Um, and, and that's really, uh, you know, that you just got to give kudos to the to the U.S. soccer, you know, the youth team staff, because he's a guy that they brought in during that mega camp, sh- showed so well for the U19s that they bumped him up uh, to the U20s. And I think things like that moving forward are super important for for the youth national team to, to just bring in everybody to a singular camp and, and force players to play out of their comfort zone, which they did with the guys like Ledesma or Frankie Amaya from Patadores mm-hmm. um, and, and, and Christian so or excuse me, um, Sebastian Soto was one of those guys who was kind of moved up and down too. So, um, so again, the, 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 the fruits of that mega camp are really paying off and really did with Ledesma who was really taken off. And um, nobody knows better than you kind of what his last, you know, six months have been like, but um, I think that all stems from a really good January camp with the, with all the youth national teams. So, yeah, we had Chris Durkin on, had an interview with Chris Durkin last week and he said, you know, they, they, Ledesma was with the U19s in that camp. Durkin was obviously with the U20s and they played against each other, the U19s and the U20s. And after they played against each other, Ledesma got hooked, pulled over to the U20s. So that's a good sign. It was Lede- yeah, it was Ledesma, Amaya, and Chris Richards that were moved up per per some of my sources. Those are the three players that are moved up from the 19s to the 20s. And I mean, look look at the kind of success they've had over the last couple of months. Ledesma's in Europe. Richards is in Europe, and Amaya um, has been. A, I mean, he had a pretty good end to the season in DA, but he's going to UCLA and is going to be a focal point of their offense uh, this fall. Um, I mean, so so those are guys that you know in other years maybe didn't get that opportunity. So. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's and, and, I mean, to go from a possible U19 to a cornerstone of the U20s um, is great. Yeah. Maybe that's a sign that we're going to see that mega camp every year from now on because it does seem to have borne some fruit. Don't you think that's a good idea? I mean, isn't something like that to, to put players up in, in their age range and just see how they compete? Yeah, totally. It seems – I mean, especially when you when I hear from you that, they're, that those are the three guys who got moved from – younger age group up to the twenties. Yeah. seems like a great idea. Yeah. So, I mean, we're kind of in agreement that the current camp isn't, isn't 
anything like a reflection of who Tab Ramos is going to call up for qualifying in November, at least as a first choice roster. Sure. Is I would f- agree. Is that fair? Okay. Yeah. Like if you, had, if you had everybody at your disposal, this probably wouldn't be our world cup roster. Probably wouldn't be our world cup qualifying roster either. If you had everybody at his disposal, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good talent or it's a good squad where there's um, some interesting players to look at for, for positions that are not quite solidified. So, okay. That leads us into sort of the first pressing question for, for tab, which is how many of our top U twenties are going to be available. And I, I think we can just sort of run through the list of players that starting with those who aren't going to be available and those who might not and kind of work our way down because there's no point in coming up with the best case scenario squad when several age eligible players simply aren't going to be released by their club. Sure. So I guess I'll start first one who's not going to be available almost certainly is Tyler Adams. Should we just take the almost out? He's certainly not going to be available. It would be great for the U S to win a world cup, you know, a U20 world cup, but are these guys that would benefit from going over there and and playing in this world cup? Maybe, but I mean, giving the opportunity to to grow and to have an international tournament under their belt uh, for some pretty good players right behind them, I think is more valuable than getting a guy like Tyler Adams on the plane to go play in another World Cup, uh, Youth World Cup. So, yeah, I don't think he'll be there. Same with Josh Sargent. I don't think there's any chance that that he's in this World Cup, unfortunately, you know, because he's still eligible for this. He's actually a year young for this year World Cup, but right. he's definitely a, a full national team player at this point. For the reasons you described, I'm fine with both of those i think it's great what about tim Weah and nick Titagwe? got any insight there yeah way i don't think he would factor in uh you know brian sharetta of uh american soccer now uh, does a lot of good updates with that and it just it never seems like ramos includes him on those lists of guys that are core players to this group um and i think those are pretty telling you know lists of the guys he thinks are core players uh, Tadagaway, I think he's a guy that would be a, a building block to this team. I think that's an important player for this team, to be honest. When you look at some of the depth, uh, and we were talking about maybe the first-line guys and a little bit of a gap between the second-line guys, I think uh, mm-hmm. um, Tadagaway is one of those players that, um, you know, I don't think there's an equal for him in the pool. And I think that uh, Tab really tried to get him in the last World Cup to become available, and Schalke did not want that. And uh, it'll be really interesting because... Again, I've talked to sources close to Nick, and um, he's going to be with the first team here in a week uh, of Schalke's first team and practicing and playing with them. He had a pretty bad run of injuries, as I'm sure many people are aware, mm-hmm. toward the end of the U19 campaign last year. And so he really ne- get, really didn't get to show his potential to some of those coaches, uh, who I think were pretty uh, you know, hopeful that he would make that jump from the U19s to the first team. And so they're, I think they're giving him uh, kind of another chance to, to make uh, to make that first team roster moving forward here. Um, and That's so cool. what he does with that will determine whether or not he gets the availability to come here in November. Is Nick going to be playing with the first teams at Schalke in November? I don't think so. But is he going to be one of the players where they don't want to release for that for that qualifying? Possibly. And that would be a big blow for Ramos and the pool in general because I think he's a guy that they're looking to 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 create a lot of goals. Yeah, well, so what's the, what are the dynamics there? If he if he's playing with the first team for Schalke, of course he's not going to be released. If he goes, sure. if he you know, if he in the next couple of weeks, if they decide, hey, the best thing for you is to go on loan to two Bundesliga. I mean, is that a, is that a possibility you're hearing? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think if he goes on loan, they they would probably have no concern with him 
going to World Cup qualifying, getting some really good, you know, higher quality games. I'm not saying two Bundesliga is not high quality, but, you know, being the focal point of a youth national team does, you know, improve your stock, improve your play a little bit. So I can see that being the case where if he does go on loan, um, I think the U.S. will push hard. I think Ramos will really push hard to get him uh, to become available for those games. Because like I said, there's really no replacement directly for him in this pool. Um, so they're really they're really counting on him to either make the jump to the first team football or 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 if he does not make that jump in Shaka's um, in, impression, then 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 become one of the you know the leaders of this team. Okay, so whether he goes on loan, I mean, my my thinking about him going on loan is well, the the team that he goes on loan to wouldn't want to release him for the for the tournament, right? I mean, they would be yeah. like, hey, we we took this guy on loan, we want him to play through November. Which, which is all fair, and I, t- I can totally understand that. My thought would be if they're going to take Nick on loan, that Ramos will be right there during those loan agreements, pick, helping choose the team that he goes on loan to, and then Tab will be in that ear saying, if you're going to loan him out to a club who wants him for an entire year, you're going to have to really work with us because you know, I, I don't think Tab got the, a good run with Schalke last time. I think he's going to press that pretty hard because – I mean, Weston was a little bit farther along in his progression with Schalke last year or in the, in, in, during the 2017 World Cup, but it wasn't like Weston was starting with the first team either. And, uh, and Tab really got the cold shoulder. And so, so I, think, I think we'll get a little bit better of a, uh, you know, a little bit better of a chance this time around with, with Nick. Okay. And you'd think, I mean, not to belabor the point, but if, he's, if, if Taitagawe ends up with the U23s, which is not an ideal, not an ideal outcome for his for him necessarily, but not a, not a bad one necessarily sure. either, right? If he ends yeah. up with the U23s, then you'd think that the chances are higher he would be released, right? I, I've got to. Because at, at that point, if you're if – you're, oh, God, relegate is not the, good, uh, the right word for an 18-year-old, right? But it, or a 19-year-old. But if you're relegated to the U23s, it's fairly apparent, I think, that Schalke doesn't think you're going to make it through in the next couple of years with them. And so in that, in that case, I think – Nick would be in his best interest to highlight himself as much as he can. And, and while CONCACAF World Cup qualifying is maybe not making it on BBC, I think there's enough eyes on those qualifying tournament games that um, and enough scouts are watching and enough scouts know uh, him well enough to where if they know he's somewhat available, uh, that's a pretty good showcase for somebody like him. So, um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see kind of where he goes. He's excellent player, just had really a bad run of injuries. It's kind of been all over the place. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. One, one shout I, I want to make is that, you know, the U23s don't have to be a negative thing or like a, a relegation because, um, Sead Kolasinac, the, the guy who, the Schalke wingback, left wingback yeah. or fullback. At Arsenal. Yeah. Who just got signed by Arsenal last year. He, he, um. He was with the U23s for the first like two, three months of the season, and he was sort of gradually incorporated into the first team in his first professional year. So, you know, if Taitagwe takes that trajectory, we can all be really happy, right? And I think, yeah, that, that's that's a fair point. And I think that um, I think that, they'll, that that'll be something that Ramos is pretty close to, right? I mean, if, if that's the plan to just kind of stalk him in the U23s for a little while because they know he, he's going to be needed, um, you know, come 2019 when they're in multiple competitions, they're going to give him some run and bring him up and down, then that's fair. Um, you know, but, but if they, they get a good look at him over the next couple of weeks and, you know, they think that for whatever reason, he's not first team material and they, they, they either put him down there or put him on loan. I do think that he'll be part of the U20 picture here this fall. Okay. Okay, cool. So, so where's out 
almost certainly Taitagwe, there's a good chance he could be in. Yeah, I do. I, I think that. But I mean, that said, I really rate him high. And so I, I do think he's going to take, I think, I do think he's going to show well with Schalke. I think he's, you know, obviously he's coming off an injury, but I, I do think he's a guy that we should watch for. I think before his injury, he was on a trajectory to where I thought he was one of the guys. I think I, I was thinking he was going to take way a spot as the, the, the wing, the young winger who was going to be in all these friendlies that were meaningless for the United States. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, really? He's way has kind of gotten those opportunities that I thought, uh, Tadigwe was going to get, um, had he not gotten injured. So, and way has done a good job and that just shows next man up kind of thing. But, um, I thought Nick was the guy that was going to be, Oh, we're not going to get him for the U 20 world cup because he's a kind of a full national team guy now at this point. Okay. You rate him very highly. I do. And I know a lot of people do. I, I've watched some, I've watched some footage of him and my sense is he's like, he's very tricky and smart and plays well in tight space, but he's a, he's pretty small guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't have like, he's, he's not a small guy the way, uh, Eden Hazard is where he like cuts in and he has a cannon from distance. I don't, I don't think he has a cannon from distance. Am I wrong about that? No. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't have an elite shot. I'll say that. Okay. But but for but for me his his foot skills are as good as any player I've seen his age or around his age. Okay. And, and a lot he's a futsaler or he has he played futsal when he was younger and I just think kids that have that background or, or players that have that background just they show their skills a little bit better on the field and then he's got raw talent to add to that and so I just think that you know if he can add a little bit more muscle and that's why these injuries are just so disappointing is because I just feel like he, he really revs up the engine and, and really starts getting things going. He looks fitter. He looks really, you know, really kind of, you know, like like Schalke had really put on some muscle to where he wasn't getting bullied off the ball like he was maybe a couple years ago. And he really was making progress, and then he gets injured. And then we, you kind of regress a couple steps. But, you know, I just, you know, when I see him when I see him do some things with the ball that I've seen, I just don't think there's many players in our entire pool of, of national team potential players that can do some of the things he can. And if he could stay healthy and put on a little bit of muscle, um, I, I like his prospects. Okay. I would love to see that come to fruition because because uh, we need a, we need him to become a first-team regular in the Bundesliga. For sure. Eventually. Yeah. Let's move to the next guy who might yeah. not be available. Uh, Jonathan Amen. He's been you know, he's at North, FC Norseland in Denmark. He's been really impressive when he's been healthy, but like like Tidegwe, he's been injured quite a bit in the last seven or eight months. He hasn't featured in either of the first two games of the season for Norseland, but I think he's going to be back pretty soon. Uh, that's the word on the street. Is he going to be available for Tab? Do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I would probably. I'd probably venture on the no side, uh, just because Neutralin, I think, will, you know, I, you know, and off the top of my head, I don't know when their season ends, so I'm not sure when their league stops. If it's before November, which it might be, uh, and I probably should have looked this up prior to answering this question. I just, you know, he's one of those guys. I think they've really tried to include into being a core member of this team. Tabs talked about him being a core member of this team. I just don't think he's gotten as many reps with the with this with this group as, as maybe they were, they should have gotten him. Um, and that a little bit, you know, a little bit comes down to identification. He's a guy that I had been following for a while. He was over hmm. in Scandinavia playing on the right to dream foundation team. That's a, usually a, 
an African kind of, you know, a team from Ghana or African refugee team. Um, and really what, what happens with that academy is it just all the main Danish or Swedish teams just pluck the top talent. And I don't, you know, he had gone over from South Carolina, got somehow got involved in that academy and got placed into it and was playing in some pretty prestigious tournaments that I had watched a couple of his tournaments play on. And he was a guy I was kind of like, man, nobody is talking about him, but he is going to get, you know, he is, he's, he's on the rise. And then when I saw him sign for Neuchland, I thought, okay, they, they had kind of stashed him there or they had been watching him there because there's obviously a plan for him at that club. Mm-hmm. You saw, I mean, you've been very beneficial, you know, relaying some of the, the links to some of the bigger clubs that he's gotten, getting looked at with. And so he's a guy that, um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how his next two couple months go, whether, uh, w- whether teams take the, the flyer on him for bigger leagues um, but again, his injury kind of holds him back too, but I just don't see him as a guy that, you know, if I had to, if I had to lean one way on, uh, Tadigway, I would say yes. And I would probably lean no on Eamon, not because he doesn't deserve to be in this team. I mean, if he's available, I think that Tab should take him. I just don't think he'll be available. I don't think he's going to be available either. Yeah. yeah. He, he's a, he's a perfect plug and play winger in the, in the Tab Ramos system. I mean, sure. he, you know, you put him, imagine him in the same position Tim Weah was in or, uh, Iowa Canola in the U17 World Cup, and he's like he just fits perfectly. But as soon as he's healthy, you got to imagine Norchland is going to be is going to uh, covet his services. And, yeah, and the, that plan that you mentioned for him is it's they, they probably want to get rolling with it and eventually get a good transfer fee for him. I mean, it'll be it'll be vindicating for me if he, you know, when he can put together, uh, string together a few healthy months in a row, and because I think he'll, I think he'll score, he'll score goals and he'll get assists. He's a chance creator, and um, so exciting player, but not going to be on this roster in my opinion. And again, probably not the World Cup qualifying roster. You know, assuming the U.S. makes the World Cup, which we should never do anymore. Uh, <laughs> the, I think he's a player that can def, would definitely feature in that side or would look to maybe in, increasing his stock at a, at a higher profile. Um, and so that's a guy to watch for. But World Cup qualifying, I, I don't see that happening, to be honest. Okay, okay. So maybe for the World Cup when yeah. – I, I mean, Denmark is kind of – I think it's winding down in May, but it may not be completely finished because they do take a long winter break. Sure. Um, we should also say the World Cup is in Poland next year in, in 2019. So oh, good again, point. Um, the, the the fact that the tournament's in Europe um, makes it a little bit more accessible to maybe some team scouts, uh, and and I, I do think that'll be a showcase for a lot of our players. And if you look at the roster, and I don't want to derail us too far. If you look at the roster and some of the guys who've gotten lots of call ups. It, it's it's no. Um, it's it's no accident that some of the guys the U.S. rates who maybe aren't in pro situations right now, guys like Manny Perez at the right back, and those are guys that are kind of being groomed to be leaders of this World Cup team and then show really well in in Poland next year and then maybe kind of burst onto the scene from there. And I've, you've kind of seen that in years past where you know you, you get these college guys or, or, or players who are playing in the academy level or what have you. Um, and, and then the U S has a plan for them They're you know, they're going to kind of spotlight their talents at, on a bigger stage. And I think, uh, I think a guy like Eamon could benefit from something like that because, you know, there might not be a bevy of scouts up in, in, in Denmark right now watching him play, but if he's, you know, the starting winger for the U S who maybe can make some noise, 
in the under 20 world cup then uh then yeah that, that's a good platform for him and many others yeah i hadn't thought of it so you're saying like u.s soccer actually in the case of like perez they're thinking like we're gonna we're gonna showcase this guy to help him yeah get signed by a, a good club in europe after the world cup in 2019 I mean, Manny Perez could have been the number one draft pick in the MLS last year. He had a great season for NC State, Tab's old university. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had a great year for them. He was earmarked as one of the top generation Adidas candidates. He was going to go top one or two or three in the draft uh, to a club and, and maybe get some playing time this year. Instead, he declined, and he's kind of been bouncing around some USL sides. I'm unclear if he's going to go back to NC State this year. I believe he is. Um, but again, I think he's one of those guys where Tab's been very close to him. They've been very high on him. You know, Nanny was a, a winger or a forward right. uh, all through the DA, and they kind of converted him to a right back. Uh, and I think that they see the potential there. And I think uh, if you watch some of those U20 tournaments, I think you know you're on record as watching some of those U20 tournaments. He showed fairly well against France a couple times. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say that he was. Yeah, he was. I, I don't want to say lockdown because that's maybe an exaggeration, but he was very, very <laughs> solid. Yeah, I mean, against and, and that, a good France team, obviously. Yeah, everybody really good. good. Yeah, really good France team. And again, it's no fluke that this guy was. This guy doesn't want to go back to college to play soccer. I mean, he's just kind of biding his time for a better, uh, you know, the opportunity that, that he thinks he can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he's kind of waiting for the World Cup to showcase himself. Cool. Yeah, I'm high on him, and uh, we'll, I guess we'll get into that later. Let's talk about the MLS guys who might sure yeah, be, be great. Una- might be unavailable because there are there are a few now. Chris Durkin is one. Now DC United doesn't look like they're doesn't look like they're going to go to the playoffs, but they looked awfully good on Saturday night with the they addition did. of Wayne Rooney. Yeah, that stadium looked fun. So, you know, if he's in the pl- – well, I mean, maybe we'll just answer the question. As I'll have you answer the question broadly. If an MLS team is in the playoffs and one of these players is a key part of the team, they're not coming to qualifying, right? No no way. No yeah. way. And so that's that's – I've been I've been – pretty much only following DC this year because I hope they tank and <laughs> Durkin's available for this roster because, I mean, your interview with him last week was great. I mean, th- this guy is the captain of this team, right? Like, that's who you have as the captain of this U-20 team, correct? Yeah. I mean, I, that's who I would make the captain. And why don't we just, yeah. just for for the uninitiated, Durkin plays holding midfielder. He's, he's kind of a deep-lying distributor slash disruptor. What, what, what else would you say about him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's the quarterback of the team. And yeah. I, I think that all his reps this year have, have really made him, you know, if, if not the most indispensable player for this team, you know, maybe one of its most indispensable players. But there's not, I mean, there's some, again, there's some players behind him that can do a job. Um, but having him on the field really does, I think, ease a lot of the rest of the players' Uh, you know, worries and, and would make the game a lot easier for, for many of the guys on the, the roster that we're going to project um, that maybe are a little younger and not as experienced in these high level situations. So having a guy like him to captain them or, or, or point them in directions, I think is pivotal to our success in some of these weird qualifying tournaments. Uh, again, it's nice that it's in Florida and not, you know, some uh, Central American country, which, which can be make it difficult for our players. But um, yeah, a guy like Durkin really would make the game a lot easier for some of the younger guys in this team. And um, if you look at the history of what, how Ramos sets up his teams, I mean, that number six is, you know, the foundation for how he builds his rosters. He had Will Trapp there in 2013, uh, Marky Delgado, Kellen Acosta, Emo Hyman, And then he had a 
kind of fit Eric Palmer Brown into that spot in 2017. Ended up putting Derek Jones there for a couple games, mm-hmm. who showed really well too. He did play well. This, yeah. yeah, I think this system sets up for a good showing from a number six. Um, and I think Durkin's probably the best of all those all that crop. And I'm high on guys like Helen Acosta, maybe not at the six. Um, right. but, uh, but I think Durkin's by far and away the most polished at this point. And so getting him for this qualifying and for the world cup is, is paramount really. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, why don't we just dive into that? Yeah. What, yeah. We... what do you think? Like a Mark McKenzie, what, like, what are you thinking a guy like him? Do you think he'll be available for the world cup qualifying tournament? Uh, I just looked at the standings earlier today. Philadelphia is like a, like a couple points out of the out of the playoff picture right now. So, I mean, I feel like it's, it could go either way with him. Um, what do you think, what do you think as an aside, what do you think is more important for the development of Mark McKenzie? Do you think it would be better for him to come down to a qualifying tournament? Like for his long-term development, would it be better for him to push for the playoffs on a team that he's been playing for all year? Or do you think it would be more beneficial for him to come down and get some youth international experience? Cause I, I struggle with that sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think running the gauntlet of professional soccer is probably better for his long-term development at this point. But sure. I, don't, I don't know, you know. I mean, he, he seems like he kind of is what he is at this point. I mean, he's going to get better. He's going to get smarter. I don't know if his technique is going to get that much better. I personally want him to be with the U-20s. He is, I, because I think he is what he is, and... Uh, he he can do the job of a center back for the U20s better than just about anybody else in the pool. It's a thin position, so I'd like mm-hmm. to see him there, um, just sort of selfishly for the success of the U20s. But I, I'm not, you know, ready to say that that's the best thing for his career. Sure, you just wonder, or you know, you, you think yeah. about how much how much clout does Tab have? I mean. If, if Philadelphia is really trying to hit the playoffs, uh, you know, are, are they really going to want to release him for something like that? But at the same time, Tab's going to be pressuring them pretty hard. Uh, and a guy like Ernie Stewart now, I mean, the value in getting to these tournaments internationally cannot be under, undersold. You mentioned it right now. Success in the World Cup, the, the full National Team World Cup, a lot of it's based on how well your U-20s kind of progress and getting those guys experience in those kind of as high of profile tournaments as they can be in at that age is important. And so getting a guy like McKenzie and Dirk into this team might be very important because the guys behind him might not be able to do as good of a job as those two. And maybe, maybe Ramos doesn't see it like that, but, um, you know, I, I think the gap after McKenzie is pretty, a pretty big fall off. So yeah, you know, I, I think with you, I'd, I'd rather have him with the U 20s too, just for peace of mind. Yeah. I'd rather have him there. I mean, I can understand why it wouldn't, why it might not happen if Philadelphia is, you know, sneaks into the playoffs. Um, yeah, we're not I, Philadelphia fans. We're U.S. fans, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I treat the MLS like a like a supermarket. You know, yeah, uh, it's kind of this. <laughs> so, so let's next guy is Andrew Carlton. There's a good. I mean, obviously Atlanta's going to be in the playoffs, and Carlton. You know, he's apparently does a valuable job sitting on the bench for them. Uh, <laughs> that he's an indispensable sitter on the bencher for Atlanta. You think Tab would exercise some some of his clout to get Tata and Carlos Bocanegra to release him? He's he's Even got he- to, right? I mean, uh I mean, I think I think this is 
I mean, as much as Durkin may be the captain and, and McKenzie might be the leader in the back, I mean, this is kind of Carlton's team. Uh, he's kind of the most, I mean, maybe the most high-profile guy uh, in this pool right now, just by maybe name and everything. And I think he has the ability to really, uh, you know, turn a game. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if Atlanta is just goofing around with him a little bit more and bouncing him up and down between USL and MLS, I mean, I, I think I think he can really sh- showcase himself. And I think maybe Carlton puts a little bit of that pressure on Atlanta. Like, hey, either play me in the MLS or I want to go with the U.S. youth team. Um, because, I mean, that guy's been on every level of youth team moving forward here. He's one of few guys in this pool that's gotten uh, three call-ups. There's been, I think, four camps in the U-20s since this cycle started, and I think Carlton's been in three of them. Yeah. Um, and so, again, he's one of those players I think Tab continues to earmark as you know, a, a, you know, a, a main guy for this roster. So, yeah, I do. I think that um, as much as as much – uh, stick as Tab might put on Schalke or Philadelphia or whoever, I think that Carlton's kind of a, almost a guarantee that that's going to be one of the first calls Tab makes to make sure that he gets released for the tournament. Okay. Okay. Cool. you. I mean, I know, I know you want him on the tournament. I mean, I know you're a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. I think the guy um, yeah, has ability that not many guys in our pool do. And some some fans give him some you know some crap because he tries some crazy things. But in his position, I've seen too many guys not try crazy things that go on to have very mundane, not great careers. And so a guy like him who has uh, the confidence in himself to try some of those things, you know, if they come off, you know, once every one, one every five times, you know, that one time might lead to a goal, you know, and you trying the safe thing five times doesn't always lead to anything. So um, I think he's one of those flair players that, you know, we can afford to put in the front three. Um, And I I think, yeah, he's a guy that uh, should be in the qualifying roster. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally hope he is. I mean, I, at the same time, I hope he, you know, something shakes loose at Atlanta and he's he becomes a you know a regular starter or somebody who gets, you know, thirty minutes off the bench with some frequency. In which case, he would be. I think Atlanta would have more of an argument that we they should keep him during World Cup qualifying. But I've been hoping for him to have that breakthrough all season, and it doesn't look like he's any closer to it than he was in. March. So was it, yeah, was it you or Matt Doyle who was kind of tweeting about or talking about how the guys ahead of him, it's not like they're producing a ton either. Was it, you know, I don't follow Atlanta too close, but I think some of the guys, you know, the kid from Argentina, Barco, I don't think he's really lighting the world up on fire either, you know? And so maybe if you know, I just, I just wonder, you know, what, what does he have to do to get, to get that opportunity? Is it injuries? Do we need to be praying for a guy to get injured or should we pray for them to stay healthy? So he gets called up to the roster. You know, I'm not really sure what we want from Atlanta for Carlton, but I just know that doing this, whatever this is right now is not working for his development. You know, it's not doing him any good to bounce up and down, um, and not really sure, know what his defined role is with the club. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I agree to an extent. I, we could almost do a whole episode on Carlton. I mean, Lord knows we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, <laughs> but um, I think he's got. I think he's gotten a lot of value out of playing in USL. I think he's. I think he's definitely improved. The trend line has been upward in in terms of his performances at the USL level, and you know the the cameos he's made in MLS have gotten cleaner and sharper. I mean, they're such small sample size, so who yeah. knows? But I think we can point to progress with Carlton this year. Yeah, I don't know what he needs to do to get a little bit more playing time for Atlanta because, like, it was Matt Doyle who pointed out this morning that 
that Barco hasn't been much much more than an average MLS winger so far. Yeah. And um, you know, Vialba Vialba's been hurt a lot. I don't know. I don't know. I sure would like to see him with this U twenty squad. Um with some of the other guys we're going to talk about playing alongside him. Let's, uh, I mean, there's another guy, sort of a fringe guy, uh, Anthony Fontana, who, who's gotten some minutes with the Philadelphia Union at central midfield. He's less valuable to the Union at the, at the moment. So, I mean, he could maybe sneak into the U-20 roster. It doesn't seem that Tab rates him, though, or he hasn't been included in any camps that I know of. Isn't that right? Yeah, I don't. I think he's been in maybe one. I have him down. I kind of to 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 pull the curtain back a little bit. Kind of went into USL a lot. Kind of your specialty, and kind of looked at how many minutes some of those guys were playing. And as of a couple weeks ago, he had been he had played over 500 minutes in USL, which isn't bad compared to some of the other players in this pool. Um, but I, I just don't think he's a guy. I think there's plenty of guys ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, okay. If, b- b- before he gets a call, and, yeah, and if we're, we're up to that guy. Um, not saying he's not of the same quality as some of the guys ahead of him, but I mean that's late in the process to br- to integrate a guy to this roster. So I don't think he'll be a, a player that we should kind of earmark. Okay, other players in the pool who might not be available are sort of in the who knows what's going to happen with their future category. Sure. Uh, I'm thinking of Sebastian Soto, Richie Ledesma, Alex Mendez, Blaine Ferry, Taylor Booth. We can probably throw Ulianez on there. Yeah, with the news that he's trialing at Bayern, although he's not going to be 18 before this World Cup, before the qualifying, right? So he's not going to Bayern this fall in any official capacity. Um, what? But I, oh, maybe let's step back for a second before we move on to those names. Uh, give me your which way you lean on Mackenzie, Dirk, and Carl and Carlton, the the MLS bros. Um, I would say yes for all three okay. because when, I, when we were first starting to kind of throw this together, I, I didn't think Philadelphia was going to make the playoffs, just kind of looking at their schedule remaining and kind of where they sat. I, I didn't think they were going to make the, the playoffs. So I had all three of those guys as yeses. Okay. I have all three of those guys starting for this team down in qualifying. Well, pray for, uh, for a Philadelphia tank and a, yeah. for DC United to play gorgeous soccer and have a couple, yeah. a couple howlers every, every week. Yeah, exactly. Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Rooney red cards and then PKs and then somehow lose one nothing. But but Durkin look awesome. Right. So Soto, Ledesma, Mendez, Ferry, Booth, Giannis, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, first, I mean, you read those names. And again, Adam, if we were to do this last year, I don't know if we talk about any of those names, which makes me maybe want to regret saying Anthony Fontana is not a guy we should talk about because he's getting <laughs> minutes in USL. But again, these are guys that, you know, I, you know, I've been following. And if you listen to Pranch's podcast, you know, anybody who follows me on Twitter, you know, I'm a guy that's from Los Angeles. I grew up a Galaxy fan. I'm still fairly close with the, you know, try to stay close to the organization. So I'm high on a lot of those Galaxy guys. Um, but right. I didn't think that Alex Mendez was going to become an integral part to this team. And I, I watched a lot of Alex Mendez. And so, um, what do you yeah. think? What do you think happened? When, when, when did he turn the corner? So just just a little quick background on him because we have so much to cover. But I mean, Mendez um, and, and a lot of those guys on the the Clyburn team, you know, they didn't they 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 struggled growing. Like they did not have a great their path to where they are right now was not easy. And Mendez had a specifically hard path. Um, and I think the guy just fought through it. And you hear so often in international football, 
that the, the guys who make it to the top pros are the guys that just have that hunger that they're going to make it no matter what. And I think from early on, talking to a lot of the people close to that that club, Alex was one of those kids. And to see him kind of come off now and be kind of, you know, be a star player for that academy uh, when four years ago, you know, Mendez was a sub on, on those teams, um, you know, that, that he's really persevered and, and taken the most of his opportunities. Um, being over in Germany is an excellent opportunity for him right now. Um, I'm a Galaxy fan, but I mean, the club is doing nothing to promote those youth players. And right. so if I'm those guys, I get out, you know, and I think that that's the, I think that's the, um, I think that's the game plan for a lot of these guys right now is they see opportunities elsewhere. They've had some good run. I think that Mendez and Yanez can be big parts to this U20 team, both in qualifying and in the world cup. And so I think that they think that they're on an upward trajectory to get to Europe quicker than maybe, um, you know, going that Carlton path and kind of seeing how USL and MLS go because, uh, you know, I don't think the Galaxy's going to give them opportunities anytime soon. And that's frustrating as both a fan of the national team and as both a fan of the club. Um, there's yeah. really good players that just don't get those opportunities. So, yeah, I don't, I don't feel the least, least bit of sympathy for the Galaxy in this whole situation, but I'm not a fan of theirs. So Mendez turns uh, 18 on the 6th. Maybe you can clear clear this up for us. That's after the transfer win- transfer window closes, so he would be signing officially signing with Freiburg if this were to happen, the team that he's trialing with. After the transfer window window closes, would he be able to play official competitions with their U nineteen squad in the fall? Or I would- don't. I don't think so. Okay. I, I think he could possibly re register at the end of the year, but I'm not certain on that. Um, and I'm sure somebody will correct us, but I just I don't think he could play this fall. Which would be tough. People but, will correct us, but nobody knows the real answer. There's yeah. just there's nobody who really knows what's going on with that. I mean, if, if he can't play with the Freiburg U19s this fall, I can think of I, I can think of some good things that he could do this fall uh, <laughs> to stay to stay honed in on his skills. So, you know, that's one of those things. That, but that that said, I mean, he's Freiburg property, you know. So, are they going to want to risk one of their new you know fun prospects? I don't know. But, but again, I think he's a guy that's going to go to Europe soon. Right. I think, I think we should transition to Sebastian Soto, a guy who you've talked about a lot. You were on maybe as early on as Ledesma, who maybe hasn't had as, a lot of, as many opportunities in USL uh, that you followed. But he's a guy that you kind of earmarked, what, a couple months ago as a guy to kind of watch. Uh, I, knew, I knew that he was getting looks from some pretty big European teams. And uh, you know, after that tournament that he did so well in in Slovakia, uh, kind of burst onto the scene. So what are your thoughts on him? Do you think that he's going to be uh, available? Do you think that uh, he should be our starting nine in, in qualifying? Well, he's in a little bit of a different situation from Mendez because he turns 18 this summer. So he will be right in the middle of the transfer window. So if he does move to Europe, which it sort of seems like he's going to, uh, then he's going to be, you know, he's going to be playing in official competitions, and we might run into that. My thought is we might run into that whole Tidegway uh, McKenney situation, where the club values them, valued them a lot. Soto's new club, if he does move to Europe, will value him a lot. Maybe they won't let him come over for qualifying. My, I mean, so that's like sort of the practical side of it from my view. I'd love to hear your your view on it. But before before that, just as a player. He, um, I think what he did in Slovakia is he scored goals in different kinds of ways, 
and that's great to see from a striker. His his off ball movement is really smart and decisive. The the thing he does that really sticks out to me, and I've I've said this on Twitter a lot, is his his hold up play is so good. He's so clean on the ball, and he's strong too. He reminds me in that way of Sargent, um, and I think he would I think he'd be a perfect uh, perfect fit for the system that Tab Ramos likes to run as the number nine. He's not, you know, he's not going to like necessarily stretch the defense with his speed, but he's going to be a, a nice focal point for the attack and, and be like, be able to distribute to the wingers on either side and the, you know, the, the midfielders behind him. So I think, I really hope he is available. I don't know if he's going to be, do you think he's going to be available? Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I was pretty hopeful that he'd be available a couple months ago, but as time goes on and the more I'm hearing, I don't think he's going to be available, which is tough because right when we started talking, he was kind of becoming more and more of a, a big-time prospect on the U-20 radar, and it kind of seemed like, well, this is an easy choice. I mean, Sargent's not going to be there. Soto is an easy easy answer, and I know he hadn't been called into the camps, the U-20 camps at least, um, but, but he, I mean, he was earmarked to be that number nine. Um, but such is the way things go now that, you know, those, those opportunities abroad, you know, trump some of the abilities to, to, to play, uh, in our youth national teams. And I guess if I have one optimistic thing to convey, it's that a guy like Sebastian Soto wasn't a guy on our radar necessarily to, to, to replace Josh Sargent eight months ago. So there's not, you know, so who's to say that there's not, not another Soto out there. And that's where, again, we were talking offline. You and Greg do a good job of talking about this. Sharetta talks a lot about this. Youth, youth national team, youth prospects, it's all, it's all a numbers game. It's putting as many players in good opportunities to succeed as possible and then just hoping, like you guys were saying, 20%, 10% hit on those opportunities. And um, you know, just because a guy like Soto leaves does not mean there's another prospect not in the pipeline that can't do exactly what we're talking about tab needing from this team. And it just opens up more opportunities for other players to get that playing time. And then hopefully Soto hits at wherever club, whatever club he goes to uh, in Germany. And then, uh, and then uh, we, we kind of go from there. Because mm-hmm. a guy like Soto might be a guy that we get for the World Cup. And a, a guy that uh, I think Tab will want for the World Cup if he's not released for qualifying. Yeah. So is he – what do you think? He's not, he's not going to be available for qualifying? I'd probably put him as a – I haven't – because we did a little – you know, inside baseball here, we did a little bit of uh, predicting rosters. We'll go over those later, but I put him in my no qualifying roster, unfortunately. Okay. okay. That's tough. That's tough. Just because you think he's going to, he's like, he's that ready to like, yeah, be yeah. an impact player. I mean, maybe not playing in the Bundesliga, but like, they're yeah, gonna want him. an impact prospect. Yeah. I think he's one of those guys that a club sees high value in and wants to protect for a little while. Allah, everything that happened at Schalke over the last couple of years with some of our guys is those, you know, those that club did not want them, you know, other other national teams messing messing around. You know, they didn't want them training different skills. They wanted them in their club, you know, ready to go when they needed them. So I, I think that Soto might be one of those guys. Hope oh. I'm wrong, but I I I, I, I worry that uh, that's going to be another void we're going to have to fill. Okay. So so Mendez, let's put Mendez and Ledesma in the same category since they have yeah. the same birthday. Well, Ledesma's back in the country uh, with the U20s training in North Carolina, but Mendez, he had a, he played a game yesterday, I, I think, uh, with the Freiburg U19s 
against the Karlsruhe U19s. Yeah. So I hear. Um, yeah. And Ledesma was just in in the Netherlands, played a game with the with the PSV U23s. Isn't Correct. that right? Yeah. Yeah. And and showed pretty well. Um, so these guys are both in the position where like it seems like they're going to probably go to Europe, but they're not going to be able to register before the season starts. Does that mean both of them are going to be available? I'll say, yeah, (laughs) not, 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 not good radio, but yeah, I I think both of those guys are going to be on the team. I think both those guys will start in the world cup for for qualifying. Um, and, And again, I, you know, like I, like we've said, I, we don't have day, we have day jobs, so I'm not into international law and how to register players for all these different leagues. Um, but my thought is, if the the window closes and you are not signed officially to the club, that you can't play. So maybe I'm wrong uh, about that. But again, I don't know if a guy like Ledesma or Mendes jumps right into playing in whatever level they see them playing at. Um, and I don't think that either one of those guys gets you know a first team contract right away. You know, I don't think those guys are first team players uh, for either one of those clubs or any of the clubs they're looking at. But I mean, let's be honest, Ledesma is wanted by PSV. I think Ledesma showed really well during his time at PSV. Um, Some of the research that I did, you know, was, was pretty promising that um, uh, PSV rates him pretty highly. Um, uh, So I, I can, I can imagine that a contract or some kind of offer will be extended here pretty shortly to him. Mendez, um, I'm just not as I don't have a, as good of uh, ties right now to him, so I don't really know exactly what's going on. But again, he's more active in his trial right now, so I just haven't had a chance to to kind of pick up on that. But um, I mean, there's there hasn't been many players that have been hotter in the in the DA than those two over the last couple months, and so I think they're just trying to ride this wave and kind of see where it gets them. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of both of them, and it's no secret yeah. to anybody who listens to this pod. I think they fit together well in a midfield too. Mendez. That was my question. Do you see them playing well together? Oh, I feel hell like yeah. They're both, I think they're both a little bit of an eight, uh, honestly. Uh, I see Ledesma as more of an eight than a 10. And even Ledesma was played as a six in the mega camp. They actually brought Ledesma up from the 19s as a six, mm. which was interesting to me when I was talking to some people about that. But that's kind of where I had it. That's when he first hit my radar uh, because of the move up. I, I thought that was interesting to put him at the six because he doesn't play there for uh, Real Salt Lake. But um, I, and I see Mendez as an eight too, but I think you can play those guys together because I think either one of them can create and be that 10 uh, kind of player. Because I think you put those two in Durkin, and that's a pretty stout midfield for whatever CONCACAF's going to throw at you. And, uh, you know, whoever on the wings, whether it's Carlton or Yanez, or, you know, I think you can surround those guys with some pieces and they can be pretty dangerous. And they're versatile, like you were saying. They can do other things and just be at an eight or a 10 kind of thing. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. They're both probably more eight ish than anything. Although Mendez, I think Mendez has a little bit more of just from watching him has a little bit more of the skill set of a six. I'm, I'm not saying he is a six, but he can yeah. like shade that way. And Ledesma can shade toward being a 10. And I mean, I love Mendez, like the way Mendez gets stuck in on the tackle is yeah. uh, one of the things I like about him the most. And, you know, Ledesma is just is just liquid fire when he has the ball at his feet. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. he's so dangerous. It's just like the game comes so naturally to him, instinctive, and he's just moves so quickly, and his passes are just always perfectly in stride. 
So I, I get, uh, I get carried away when I think about those two playing together with, <laughs> with Durkin behind them. Yeah, that could be, that's an exciting time. My just last point on Mendez, when he was dropped to the six, I thought the galaxy really fell off a lot, not because he's a bad six, just because he does so much connecting and I don't think he was really utilized that well as the six for the galaxy in, in, in some of the later DA playoff games. And so, cause that was pretty much their game plan was that they would play him as the eight most of the game. And then they would take off their six, uh, and then put Mendez back. And then it seemed like that really stunted the galaxy a lot. And then eventually they would bring in a six late on in some of these games and then it would push Mendez back up. And that's kind of when they hit their stride again in, huh. in some of those matches. So, um, I think, I think you're right. I think you can play all over. And I think he needs to be on the field because his he's I think he's our set piece taker with that left foot either on corners or on free kicks. I think he's our you know our most dangerous weapon uh, from those from those uh, spots too. So even over a guy like Carlton uh, or some of the other guys on the team, I think he's the guy that takes some of those set pieces. So Desmond's good at set pieces too, right? True. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the nice thing. You have a left foot and a right footed guy that kind of hit those balls. Uh, so yeah, okay. some of the other guys. Yeah, some of the other guys you mentioned like Blaine Ferry. Uh, again, a kind of an integral member for the U17 uh, pool last last cycle. I think he's still trying to get his club sorted out. I know he's been on trials in Scandinavia off and on over the last couple months. Um, but again, I think that he's a guy well behind some of the guys we've already talked about. And then I think we should just kind of hit on Taylor Booth real quick, a yep. guy who, uh, I mean, it's the worst kept secret, but I mean, he's heading to Bayern Munich to play with their U19s. I think he's going to get that passport situation sorted pretty shortly from what I'm hearing. And then he'll be another U.S. player at, on the Bayern Munich U19 teams. And I think this camp is, if anybody's going to leap, you know, launch pad their U20 prospects for uh, the World Cup qualifying, it's going to be a guy like Booth um, mm-hmm. because I think he has the most to prove here uh, in North Carolina over the next week. So what are your thoughts on him? Where do you see him playing or do you think he can push for the roster? Um, you know, he and Ferry played together with Soto in Slovakia and, um, you know, Booth was kind of in and out of the lineup. I think Ferry was always in the lineup in that tournament. And so was Soto. I I mean, Ferry was the more impressive of the two for me. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, he's left footed, he's tricky, he's a fighter. He doesn't, uh, he just doesn't give up. I mean, we saw that in the U17 World Cup. He's a, He's just an asset because of his because of his bite, and um, you know I know a lot of people are high on Booth. I know he's at Bayern right now. If anybody has gone to the extreme measure of watching Chris Richards's Instagram lives, as, <laughs> as as I have done, I don't watch them all the way through, but I watch a little bit of them. Uh, there's one where like he and Taylor Booth are like making spaghetti together in the in the break room at the Bayern dorm. So I mean, we, we, Booth is there. It's just not official yet. So I mean, if if you're listening to us two Yahoos talk about this, you're watching Chris Richards' Instagram <laughs> live videos. I mean, let's let's be honest here. I, again, I don't follow him all the way through. I watch a couple seconds, but I just wait for everybody else to update me what's going on. So yeah, again, back to Booth real quick. I just you're right. I, I I really think he's a player that the U.S. really rates, and obviously Byron rates him highly. Um, but for this for this U20 team, I just don't see where he fits. I think that he's more of a deep lying. Uh, playmaker and i think that uh we just have at this time right now better playmakers ahead of him um that do a little bit more going forward than he could that he could do um and so i'm not saying he's redundant to a guy like durkin because durkin and him do different things but i just don't see the need for a guy like booth right now 
Uh, and maybe maybe he does well over the next couple months and, and shows differently. But I just think that guys like Ledesma and Mendez, uh, Gosselin even, are just maybe ahead of him uh, at this point. So we'll see. So Soto is probably not going to make the qualifiers by your estimation. Ledesma and Mendez probably will. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I would th- I would say yes. And then Ferry and Booth uh, may well not even be in the picture. I mean, Booth Booth is in the picture, but Ferry's doesn't look like he's in the picture. And I, yeah, I think it's more important for him to get his club sorted out. I mean, he's he's from a non MLS DA academy, and I mean, sometimes those roads are you know they're they're helpful because you're not beholden to a club. But I mean, he's trying to figure out his career, and I don't think that you know a World Cup qualifying is high on his roster right now. Okay. Or, or his thought. What about you? What's Soto for you? To a certain extent, I just defer to your wisdom on it. But I so badly want him to play with this team that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let my heart uh, (laughs) dictate my my answer to the question and say it's fifty fifty. How about that? Yeah, that's fair. Ledesma Mendez, a yes for you. I I sure hope so, but I don't know. I mean, I'm so high on Ledesma in particular because I just think like every time he touches the ball. I've ever every time he's touched the ball and I've seen it, it's been positive. It seems like, and uh, I imagine he's going to be doing that at PSV too. And and his rise could be. I'm not predicting that he's going to play with the first team right off the bat, but I think his his rise could be faster than most. It could take people by surprise. He's that good, in my opinion. Yeah, it's exciting. He's exciting. But again, like I guess we pointed out earlier, he's it's. Unlikely, yeah, it's murky what his fall situation will be. So let's, long answer, I do think he'll be with us in the qualifiers. Those are the kind of like, are they going to be there or are they not? That's a long segment there, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's a good idea of it. I think Joey has his finger on the pulse of this stuff. Let's continue and talk about Chris Durkin and who might replace him if he's not available after the break. America 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 You are so grand and golden Oh, I wish I was deep in America If Durkin doesn't make it, who is the six for you? Yeah, that, that's where things get tough. And uh, uh, like I said, initially kind of constantly have like a U-20 kind of matrix going up. And come January, I have Ledesma as one of the guys that was going to fill in around there because that's kind of where they initially put him during the mega camp. But I don't think that's where they would put him now. Mm-hmm. A guy like Chris Goslin, who's who's excellent. I don't know if six is his best position either, and that's difficult. But a couple names that are uh, in this camp that have showed well over the last couple U.S. Uh, youth tournaments have been uh, FC Dallas's Brandon Servania and uh, Sean Zawadzinski. Zawadzinski. 
Nowaditsky is a guy from the crew organization that's going to be playing at Georgetown in the NCAA this fall. Okay. And kind of inside sources were telling us that uh, he had a really good uh, couple of la- last couple of camps that he was involved with. He really impressed some of the youth teams uh, coaches at the six. So he's a guy that I would watch out for, uh, honestly, making this World Cup qualifying roster because I got to imagine that guys like Durkin are going to be highly coveted for the World Cup and maybe that's not guarantee next next year but um a guy like Zawadzinski is a guy that I would watch out for in the qualifying campaign and he's a guy that's there in North Carolina right now so we'll kind of have to see how that goes yeah right and you know Cervania I've gotten to see a little bit of in USL he's been playing regularly for the Tulsa Roughnecks he um he looks okay to me you know he looks like a pretty good player yeah yeah I watched I watched a little bit of uh, Cervania play at North Carolina last year uh, in the fall for North Carolina. And uh, I thought he was pretty good. And I could see where he really jumped up on FC Dallas's homegrown radar uh, at that point. But again, Dallas needs a USL team. And I think that's coming, but um, he's a guy that just needs reps. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's not getting any better during the summer at UNC. So I think that he's a guy that is a professional soccer player and uh, it was time for him to get out of the, the, the college ranks. But again, guys like Cervania or, Zawadzitski are not Durkin and playing with those guys in qualifying can be tricky. They don't have a lot of experience um, at this level. And, and, you know, if you follow CONCACAF World Cup qualifying at any level, things get chippy and things get concacaf pretty quick. Hmm. And you're going to, you're going to want a guy in that position that knows what to do. And I'm not sure if those guys are tabs, number one call of guys that know what to do in that spot. So it's tough. Well, at least in Cervani- in Cervania's case, he's getting he's getting reps with Tulsa, and you know, getting more experience every week. I think he started the last two three games for them, so that's promising. Yeah, that's good. The other possibility that we've talked about is uh, a two thousand one Justin Hawk, who just put on like a arguably man of the ma- man of the match performance in the DA championship when NYCFC beat uh, LA galaxy, including Alex Mendez. After yeah. Alvarez and, and yeah, I thought Leonis. he was really good. Is, yeah. is he too, is he just too young and too inexperienced to get a look here? Well, I mean, maybe today he is, mm. uh, but you know, in a couple months, maybe he just continues to progress. Maybe he's playing more in, uh, with the first team during practice sessions, um, and maybe he gets offered a contract, you know, so, so maybe not. But yeah, he's a guy that's definitely, if you're looking at projecting next year's U19 DA standout performers, I think he's a guy that you definitely earmark for, uh, you know, uh, you know, a great season next year for the NYC uh, FC U19s. And so maybe he's a guy that has a Ledesma-like, you know, impact and he, you know, pushes himself on this, on this roster. Uh, Cause I, I did watch a good amount. Well, as much as a person can watch of U19s in the DA, <laughs> but I watched a good amount of NYCFC because of all the talented players they have. And hack was a guy that just continued to stand out to me. Uh, and maybe it's because some of the other players on their roster, cause they have such a good roster that they may, you know, maybe he looks good in comparison, but I just think he does so much uh, for that team. Yeah. And I think it was pretty evident against the galaxy that he was, outstanding i think he really bossed galaxy's midfield for a little while and really broke a lot of stuff up and in 2001 uh in the da u19s getting over 2000 minutes is, is nothing to scoff at so 
I think I think NYCFC really rates him highly, and um, yeah, he could be a player that could push this roster because, like I just said, there's nobody that stands out after Durkin as a guy that's like a can't miss prospect um, for the qualifying team, and so maybe Hack becomes one of those guy, one of those kind of guys. What about Juan Pablo Torres? He got he's at Sporting Lo- Lockeren. Lockeren, yeah, Lockeren. Lockeren in Belgium. He got one start and went 90 minutes last year, and then I don't think he played ever again after that. He played with the U-20s in those friendlies against France. I thought he looked okay. What, what, is he out of the picture now? No, I, th- I think he's in the picture. Um, uh, I think he's been called into at least a couple of these camps. And so he's a guy that I think Tab at least looks to as, as a guy that he can count on. Um, and again, I, th- I think you're correct. I think he got minutes, very very sparing minutes over in Belgium last year. And so... Um, yeah, he's honestly a guy I just don't know too much about. I know he was, uh, you know, as a 99, he's in the same kind of class as guys like Tadaguay and um, Kyle Gruno and Sam Vines. Some of those, that was all Hugo Perez's U14s and U15s. So he's got um, he's got some skill, but I honestly don't know if he's a 6 or an 8 or a 10. I think he's been played all over the midfield uh, uh, throughout his youth national team career. I'm not sure where the Belgian team sees him. And sometimes when a guy kind of floats all over the midfield, um, versatility is a good thing. But again, maybe it's just because he doesn't have a—he's not really great at any one of those positions. Yeah. And I think that um, you know, if we're having to reach for a guy like Torres at a, at the six, then we might be in a little bit of a trouble. I think he can possibly play there. But again, I think he's more of like an eight is where I see him going forward. And again, we're just kind of loaded at that position, and so I don't think he's necessarily a guy that I would see taking the six. I'll I'll defer to you with a guy like Chris Goslin if you want to talk about him real quick because I think you've seen more of him than I have. Um, but do you think he can play the six or do you, do you think he's more of a a, a moving forward midfielder um, in that kind of mold? Yeah, I think he's more of a six. I do, I do disagree with you there, but um, but he's not hasn't been quite reliable enough at it you know, in, in USL at least. And he does, he does move forward some, uh, with Atlanta United to play, play sort of as an eight on occasion, you know, you know, these things are fluid in the game. Like it's kind of hard to say for sure, but, but I, I think he's struggled with the transition from you know, lower age level to, uh, to sure. the USL as much as anybody in this, in this whole discussion, he, He's, I mean, he's got the, he's got the strength, and he, he, he shows flashes of the technical ability to, to that. I mean, that that was so that was so exciting to see from him when he was slotted in there next to Durkin in the U seventeen World Cup. I thought they were really strong together, but I wouldn't feel a hundred percent comfortable with him at the six uh, without Durkin around. You know? Yeah. And I, I think, mean, one I, thing. Yeah, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. You go. I was gonna ahead. say one one thing he's got going for him too is he he does have a little bit of that World Cup World Cup qualifying. He's been in these situations against some of these same players of other teams, and so bringing in a guy like him in with the experience of you know playing in some of these tight matches, uh, you know where Panama puts however many players they can fit on the field behind the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, those those you know that experience does come up. I think that maybe. Ramos would rely on that versus, you know, a guy who hasn't been in those spots before. If it's if it's a neck and neck type thing, I think we can maybe, 
I think he, I could see him getting the nod over some of the other guys because he's because he's been in the system before. Yeah, and Ramos did mention him as a core part of the team as recently sure. as a month or two ago. So he's probably going to be there. And I and I would I, think so. Yeah, I don't think the I don't think the Atlanta United two rationale for keeping him around is that strong. <laughs> I would I would hope not. He 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 rode the bench the last, in the last game. So I don't oh, for, for USL. Yeah. Oh oh that's huh. okay. Um, they brought in a lot of first teamers, but he was Carlton started. Goslin didn't, and I don't think he, tip, he, he typically starts, doesn't he? He for has the USL team? he has started, but they've been terrible. You know, there's, that team has been really bad, and they uh, even in their win last week against I forget who it was against when they brought in a bunch of first teamers. It still was just painful to watch. It was really bad. Yeah. Ooh. So I don't know. I'll I'll probably get a message from uh, Scott Donnelly about it. But <laughs> oh, the uh, the down the pitfalls of podcasting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people want us to, to you know call it like call we it see like it. This. Yeah, totally. All right, let's move on from the six. The I mean, the upshot of all this is Durkin is the Durkin is the answer. Durkin is the truth. And uh, if he's not there, then there's going to be sort of an open question there. Fair yeah, enough. I think that other other teams will exploit that against us if he's not there. And we like like we were saying, we didn't necessarily have a six last cycle either, like a like a full on six. Um, and uh, we had to pull up one of our center backs, Eric Palmer Brown, played that spot in seventeen. And I mean, we have no but we are if there's a if there's a maybe a position that's a little less depth than the six, it's maybe center back. No? Right. Next question. Yeah. Who will be assuming Mark McKenzie is there, the, the 19 year old center back for Phil, Philadelphia union, who are, who's going to be his partner and who are the depth options at center back? I'm going to lean well, on you for this one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a guy like Chris Richards would partner well with McKenzie. Um, I still think he's probably the guy that's going to get the call. Hmm. Uh, to, to make the World Cup qualifying roster, I do think he'll get. Uh, I think he'll be made available by Byron to, to do that. Um, so that's promising because I think that he's easily got the quality um, uh, to, to show well on this roster. So that that would be a guy I would think would partner with McKenzie um, if Tab had his if Tab had it all all his way. So, but you're right. Behind that, it's it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more hazy behind uh, behind those two. I mean, getting a, getting the Leonard Maloney kid from uh, Berlin is a pretty big coup for Tab because he's been involved with the German U19s up until a couple months ago. So I know he's been on record as saying he wants to play for the U.S., but it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to actually accept a call-up and actually fly over and, and do it. Because I've been told many times by many players that they would have loved to be called up by the U.S. men's national team uh, youth national teams and then end up turning it down. And I don't take it personally because I mean, they don't care what they tell me. It's not a binding agreement, but mm-hmm. I know that actually showing up for these camps is, is a big deal. Um, and so getting a guy like Maloney, who's uh, a quality player at a position that we have some pretty poor depth in is, is a, is a pretty big thing for Ramos moving forward. So awesome. So that's, yeah, that's definitely an awesome pickup for them. Who, so Maloney's so Maloney's right there. Um, is he going to be available? Do you think if he's playing? I mean, he's been he's been playing with the first team in two Bundesliga. I thought, in the yeah, 
off and on, I think. But um, yeah, I, I, my thought would be if he's if he's if he's been made available at this critical juncture of their preseason to come over here for U twenty team, then that signals an, an intent for the club to release him for qualifying. That, my make, that makes sense. Yeah. That if he was a part of their first team plans to like start in a couple weeks, that he probably wouldn't have been able to let go. But I think I think somebody made a good point on Twitter, and it might have been Sharetta or it might have been somebody else, but um, Berlin, or maybe you. Berlin's a selling club. I don't think they're necessarily looking to um, you know, hold on out to all their players if they can get good value for them. And so having a, a, a youth international, uh, whether that's a German or whatever nationality you want to go with, I mean, that, that bolsters their stock. And so getting a guy like him involved with uh, with the U.S. is is beneficial to Berlin at this point. And yeah, I think he's a guy that will probably be available for qualifying. And so if you can get Richards and Maloney and McKenzie, I mean, that weakness maybe turns into a little bit more of a, you could sleep a little bit easier with, I think, those three at least holding down the back. Okay. Well, I, you know, there's no guarantee in a 20-man roster, which is what Ramos has to work with, right? He gets Correct. 20. 20 players, yep. Um, there's no guarantee there will be four center backs, but if there were a fourth, who would it? Who do you think it might be? You know, I really like Angel Uribe, um, a kid who, gosh, shoot, he just recently moved. He's um, at no, he's at uh, Tijuana. He's at Club Tijuana. Uh, he just moved. Oh, really? So he's at he's at Dorados, a club that's pretty closely tied in, at least to my kind of from my. Um, as much as an Omaha, Nebraska perspective of Liga MX, um, Dorados. Hey, hey, we all have the internet. We all have the internet. <laughs> uh, Liga uh, Tijuana seems fairly tied into Dorados uh, de Sinaloa. Uh, it looks like a lot of those players who maybe don't make it the jump from the sub twenties to the full full first team seem to go on loan or get bought by that club. And Uribe just moved over to them uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I was talking to him, and he's actually training with their first team right now. And he's one of the few players uh, that has been invited to all four U20 camps. And so to me, that signals intent that Tab sees uh, either leadership qualities or value in his durability or versatility because he's a a right-footed center back who can play right back as well. Um, And so we have some good right backs that we'll go over here in a minute. But um, a guy with the kind of ability to kind of shift around in the back line is an an important aspect to a a 20-man roster um, uh, where anything can happen. And and again, I've just watched too many of these qualifying campaigns to know that having some players with some Latino background is super beneficial. Um, I just think that sometimes – Players without experience down in some of those Central American or Mexican leagues are, are very naive hmm. and um, in these situations. And it's it's all about getting the result to qualify. It doesn't really need to look pretty down in Florida. It just needs to get done. And I'm not saying that Angel Uribe is any better at getting things done than some of our other players. I just feel like they're a little bit more astute to some of those tactics and some of the, that gamesmanship. And having guys on the roster that at least have experienced that is beneficial for, for, for whether that's barking out you know orders from the bench or being on the field and telling people where to be or what to do getting people away from scrums that kind of thing it's an important aspect and i think that uribe has been been called up by tab enough to be kind of seen as one of those guys that i think yeah will be um will be on this qualifying roster okay okay but man Um, after him it's it's tough i mean we made a list and i mean after after him sam rogers who's getting minutes with uh seattle sounders too uh, who was recently getting off an injury? 
who actually is rated pretty highly in the Sounders organization from the sound of things. Um, he's a big, tall center back. I think you know he's a guy that Tab would feel comfortable with going with. I don't think he's their their first choice, but I think he'd be a guy that they'd be okay with. But after him, it gets it gets maybe a little bit slim pickings to where we're starting to having to look into um, some collegiate players, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But man, as as a guy who follows college soccer locally, I just I know that um, it's a grind, and to to take a guy away from his college season uh, to go into qualifying. I mean, those guys those guys play a couple games a week, and they're flying all over the country to do it, and they're not getting very many practice sessions to practice and their rehab is poor and so you know bring in some guy who's been battling through 20 college games in three months without mm. practice or proper rehab is, is tough and then throwing him into a high you know profile game and qualifying is is not easy and the quality in college soccer um, at least for the american player has really gone down lately and so when you're starting to having to pick out some of the guys in college soccer it's definitely not of mckenzie's uh, quality so that's it's tough yeah right well there's a couple other names you mentioned to me before um we don't need to get deep into them but just they're possible right kyle gruno will like kyle, yeah like kyle gruno a lot he was a kid that was again one of the 99s with hugo perez i watched a lot of their uh got got some of their video for their training session i really think he's good on the ball um i think he's imposing he was uh, a Leicester City Academy player. He was kind of scooped up because he's got an Italian passport um, right out of uh, some youth 15 national team games. So he was a guy that maybe I earmarked to be one of the guys, you know, one of the leaders in this camp a couple years ago. Um, and he just hasn't really broken through. He's playing with Portland Timbers Academy right now. Played pretty much every one of their U19 games. They didn't have a great season. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I talk... Uh, I'll say that he might be going abroad soon. And so I know that there's some clubs over in Britain looking at him again. And so, um, he could be a guy. Yeah. He could be a guy that can go, goes abroad here shortly and get some opportunity and then really takes off again. So if he can, if he can really put himself back on this radar, it would, it would be good because he's a player with lots of quality. Okay. I just wonder why, you know, why hasn't he gotten any minutes with Timbers too? You know, it's a great question. I don't know. Yeah. Because okay. there's 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 availability. I mean, there's I mean, I can imagine if 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 Portland rated him highly, they'd be putting him in their their USL side. So you, you got that's a good point. I don't know. Uh, a couple others: Wilhelm, is it Wilhelm Jacques and yeah. Jack Marr? I've, I saw some Jack Marr in the that's M A H E R. I'm not sure Correct. I'm pronouncing it correctly. In the DA playoffs, he also has gotten a little bit of time on the field in usl if i'm not mistaken i think with yeah st louis right yep st louis fc yep big kid i don't know we don't need to we don't need to keep listing off names i guess but yeah i I like him a couple guys in college i'll throw out carson bum steg at stanford kind of played sparingly last year really getting deep here though but uh will hirschman is a kid from the Indiana Fire Academy, who played at Ohio State, and he's a, a pretty good player. I, I rate him highly. And then Daniel Strachan was at Akron last year, played, I think, every minute of their game as a freshman, left-footed center back, I think. So a couple guys well off the radar. I would imagine that if they were anywhere close to this roster uh, for qualifying, they'd be called up right now. Um, so, again, this roster kind of signals the intent that this is kind of where the bar is set of 
who maybe makes that World Cup qualifying roster, barring a, a big time impact over the next couple months. So, I like I like James Sands. I he keeps playing. He's a he's come up as a defensive midfielder, but he keeps playing as a center back wherever he goes. Seems like he played as a center back with the U seventeens, and he's been playing as a center back with the New York City FC U nineteens. I really like him. I thought I thought he looked exceptionally good in that in that championship game last week. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like he's really in the picture though. Does it? I mean, he's not he's not been called up for any of these camps. Yeah, I don't think he has. I'm just checking my kind of matrix roster here and I don't think he got yeah, he's been a one camp but hasn't really got any significant minutes. He played again, with the U19s in Slovakia along with Soto, okay. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I rate him highly. You're right. He was he was a boss in that DA championship game, but you know, I don't I don't know. I just I, I don't know if he translates to a center back at the U20 level. So I, and he's one of those tweeners. I just don't know where his best position is. Um, but he's got he's got ability and he's got um, experience. So I wouldn't I wouldn't rule him out from being on the roster for sure. Um, I just think he needs some more minutes. Yeah. One more guy. One more guy that I, I didn't really talk to you about, but I wanted to kind of uh, put out there was uh, Michael Edwards. Uh, he's a DC United Academy product, and uh, huh. he's been he's a 2000. Uh, he's a he's a full center back, very athletic. Um, and there's uh, I'll say there's a lot of uh, European interest on him right now, um, and he's a guy that's gotten no call ups. Uh, to the uh, U20 camps at this point, but uh, he's a guy that I, I would just, you know, for the listeners out there, just kind of uh, earmark him because I could see Michael Edwards being a, a, a possible uh, breakout player next year um, to kind of make it through in this in this roster. So he's a guy with uh, all, the lack of depth here can maybe can maybe really push for a spot. So okay, one to watch. Okay, well that's that's enough on the center backs. Uh, we'll move on to the flashier position. Who's going to be the number nine, the goal scorer? Usually a tall guy who leads the line, collects the ball using strength and guile, and plays passes to the feet of the other attackers. Boy, well I said Soto is a no go. You have him as a fifty fifty. And again, if we were if we would have done this podcast when we first started chatting, I think it was a pretty obvious answer that we would put him there. But man, I I I've been looking through all day, and I really do not have a great answer for you. I'll give you some half answers. Okay. That sound? Yeah, half answers yeah. is all we got. So, uh, what, you know, when we talk about who Tab has called into multiple of, of of these camps, a guy like Justin Renex, who's a I, I, I find him more of a winger um, who plays at Indiana University and had a you know a fairly good impact as a freshman last year, but definitely didn't play as many minutes as you'd hope for a guy on your U20 team. Um, but he's a guy that maybe could play as a nine. Uh, he's been called into all four camps, very heavy into the U.S. Youth National Team, uh, set up for multiple years. Uh, you know, he's, again, he's versatile. Um, but he, he, I don't think he offers you what, what Soto has. I don't think he's a guy that would be a golden boot winner for qualifying. Um, and I don't think he's a guy that would really, uh, you know, flow well with some of the wingers we could possibly bring into qualifying. Yeah. Uh, so, so he's a guy that maybe is out there. Um, uh, a couple other guys I, I do like, I, I like Kyle Holcomb from, 
uh, Patty Adores, who's going to Wake Forest this fall. He's a guy that's been a prolific goal scorer yeah. at the DA level. Um, but again, when uh, like like most of life, um, there's some. Uh, I don't want I don't want to directly attribute this to Kyle Holcomb, but um, Holcomb's got talent and has really never been called into the U.S. Youth National Team. Um, and so to me, that signals that for whatever reason, the, the coaches or the people making the decisions don't rate him for whatever reason. So it would be tough for me to see them calling him in at this point because they've called in some lesser players, in my opinion, uh, to fill that void. Uh, so he's a guy that I like, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to, uh, to get that call. And then I'll, I'll, I'll leave with a little bit of hope. Uh, Maurice Malone is a kid who's at FC Augsburg in, in the Bundesliga. Um, he is a German-American player, somebody that I've been in close contact with for a few years. Uh, I've kind of gauging his interest once I found out he was an American, seeing if he'd be willing to uh, had any interest in playing with the U.S. youth national teams. Um, and again, like some other players who end up not coming over to, to, the, to the light side, he said he's been interested in playing with the U.S. I know for a fact that the U.S. has reached out to Malone. Um, I think hmm. they were pretty close to getting Malone into, into a few of their more recent camps. Um, but again, Germany has their pulse on some of these things too, obviously. And they know when the U S comes sniffing around that they better tighten down their ship. And Malone's, uh, been a prolific player at the U 17 and the U 19 levels for Augsburg. And, um, and they, they ended up bringing him to their U 17 world cup, um, uh, uh, last year or a couple years ago. So he's a guy that's kind of on the fringes in the German setup. I've been following his progress closely with some of those youth national teams. And it's pretty clear to me that he's not going to be a U 20 German international. And so maybe tab can convince him to, um, you know, make the switch now and, and, and forever hold his peace because he's one of those guys that's cap tied to Germany with his appearance in the world cup. And so if he were to, to, to switch over, he'd follow his one time switch and become a U.S. player. He's obviously probably got more of a chance to make as a full international as a U.S. player. Um, he's told me he's interested and there is an opportunity. So at this point I'm, I'm hoping the U S is still picking up the phone and calling him because again, there was interest on his end. I know the U S has reached out and, uh, he would be, uh, a, a good stand in as a number nine. I don't think he's, he doesn't have the height that a Soto does, but he's a guy that could, you know, knock in three, four goals for a team at, at the front at the spearhead of this attack. So mm. he's the kind of guy that I'm, I'm kind of pinning my hopes to if Soto can't make it. Okay, that's good to know. That's yeah. that is a little bit hopeful. Let's. I mean, so who's? I'm looking at who else is even in the picture after Malone. If if you know if Malone doesn't materialize and Soto can't make it, I mean, the forwards in this camp that they're having right now aren't really forwards. George no. George George Acosta, the ten, definitely a ten. Chef Brewer is a winger. Um, Dorsey's a winger. Is Dorsey a winger? I was going to ask. Yeah. I don't. I don't know anything about him. I've never seen a, a minute of Justin Rennix or Griffin Dorsey, so I don't know anything about him really. They're both. Yeah, they were both at Indiana last year, and and Dorsey actually played. I think he started every one of Indiana's games. And I, I believe he's a winger. Um, again, him and Rennix, um, I, I think you could maybe play up top, um, but I don't. I don't think that's that would be the plan. Yeah, Griffin Dorothy, Dorsey started every one of Indiana's games last year, and Rennix got in for nine appearances with Indiana. So definitely not, um, uh, you know, they didn't light up NCAA's. I think Dorsey was one of the better players in the Big Ten last year. But again, at this at this point in the U.S.'s progression internationally, I don't think we should be relying on 
NCAA forwards to 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 lead the attack. Unfortunately, yeah, NCAA, but, but NCAA wingers, NCAA yeah. wingers to be the number nine. But then, as as you keep going down the depth chart, um, some of the other guys they've called in as a nine. Uh, let's see, Jeremy Raffanello. Raff, Raffanello. Yeah, uh, Raffanello. So he's a kid that was at I think De- FC Delco and then moved to Philadelphia Union this last year. Um, was he's a good player. To, he's a good player. Yeah, I've was, seen him. Yeah, play. he was was going to a smaller college, and I think he's going to Penn State. So yeah, he's got some he's got some talent. I, I think that that's probably your best bet as a number nine. If uh, if none of these other guys materialize, I think he probably is the guy to, to call because I think he fits that mold the best. Yeah. Don't you say so? Have you seen I, him play for Philadelphia? I saw him play for Philadelphia a little bit, and I saw him play uh, with the U19s. He he was a bench option behind Soto and came on a little bit in that Slovakia Cup. He looks good. He looks um, – he's, he's very fast and strong, which, you know, that's not enough. But he's also uh, – I think his hold-up play is pretty decent. I, I guess I would put him as like a – you know, a poor man's Sebastian Soto at the moment. <laughs> um, I, I kind of mentioned to you again, watching these tournaments year after year. Um, Alan Gordon got a lot of shtick for you know what he can bring to a soccer game, but you can't understate the importance of having a kind of a athletic, tall forward to put up there to hoof balls into when you're down a goal in the 92nd minute. You know, so a guy like what you know it's not a not an ideal spot for the u.s to be really grasping at straws with this position because if a team stifles the u.s and carlton can't create and mendez isn't having a great game and ledesma's can't get on the ball and you just can't open things up well then you know you sometimes you have to resort to other measures or set pieces and if you don't have a guy that's prolific at that you can run into some difficulties in these tournaments so it, it is tough you want you want somebody that can just you know do a job for you of banging in headers yeah I mean, I don't know enough about Raffanello's game to say that he, you know, that he definitely offers that, but he, he sort of fits the profile, I guess you'd say. Well, and you know, I guess we can we can read between the lines a little bit that if they were, con- you know, looking back on Soto's issue, if they were concerned that they didn't have a point forward for this qualifying roster, well, then I my thought would be they would have called in somebody like him yeah. uh, to this camp, and maybe they think Dorsey or Renix is that kind of guy. Because I don't think Brewer or Acosta are that are those players, and so they must feel comfortable with what they have either at this camp at that spearhead position or um, are confident they're going to get a guy like Soto to come back and play. In Tab, we trust. I guess so. He, he's he's done okay. You know, every U.S. coach takes their shtick, but but Tab usually does pretty good in these tournaments. Um, the last couple, I think he's he's gotten pretty good results and and turned in some uh, pretty good player performances so yeah yeah okay are you hungry are you lonely what do you call your first mistake your worst mistake and can you help me fix mine and no disrespect 
Yeah, well, before we give our 20-man rosters, drum roll, let's let's uh, let's talk about areas of strength because we've we've brought up a lot of the sort of areas of concern in the lineup. What do you think is uh, an area of strength in the player pool and one that there really aren't a lot of questions about? Yeah, I mean, you did a good job of kind of breaking this down. Um, earlier, but um, our, our fullback depth, our fullback depth is really better than I can ever remember it. And uh, typically, that means we have a lot of good right fullbacks, and I think we do have some good right fullbacks um, in this pool. But for me, I don't think I've seen a, a deeper left left back pool in a while. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if there's a can't miss guy on this list, but I think there's some really solid players that can do a job. And typically, I feel like we're having to shift players over at this level to make sure we just get coverage over there. But there's some real, like some real left backs in this pool. A guy like Matt Real, who's played, um, uh, I think he's been called into every camp. I think he's the automatic starter. Uh, he's been with the Union and Bethlehem Steel uh, mm-hmm. all year, and when he's playing, he's playing at both. Um, so I think he's the likely starter, and maybe the guy you bring to qualifying. But just kind of breaking, you know, rattling off some names. Sam Vines is getting lots of minutes in USL. He's a pure yeah. left back. Um, Chris Gloucester's at Hanover now, so he's a solid left back prospect. Aiden Stanley's getting great run in the USL. He's a left back. Yeah. Uh, Vladimir Mendoza, who's injured, but he's you know more of a left back for Real Salt Lake. Going deeper into, into college soccer, Christopher Gray at Cal had a good year. Jake Morris is going to be at UNC. He's a left back. Um, Gabe Cash is at Marquette, and uh, and so really you could just rattle them off. But I think any of those guys would have been quality players in previous years at that position. It's just kind of unfortunate that all those guys are around the same age because because um, I don't think you take many of them. Um, but there, but there's some good quality for the future. And if you know um, you know again we talk about numbers game, just one of them needs to hit for them to be a long term U.S. Men, men's national team uh, pool player. So yeah. yeah, there's some good depth there and. I mean, I'll let you go over the right backs a little bit, and uh, yeah, but there's good depth everywhere over there. Yeah, no, I think I think the especially the first three or four you mentioned are, um, you know, they're all getting professional minutes, and they like you said, they play the position of left back. That's their yeah. That's that's what they know how to do, and I I can't even remember who was playing left back with the U20s in the last cycle. Do you remember? It was it was Danilo Acosta. Okay. It was it was the kid he's who was at Real. Yeah, he's he's good. Um, I don't know if he was a like looking back on it back then. I don't know if he was like a knock on left back at that point. I think he was kind of more of a six, to be honest, if I remember correctly. Real Salt Lake was yeah. playing him as the six in the DA, and then they kind of just tab saw something and it was as left back, or or they thought he was that position the whole time. I don't remember, but I don't I don't think he was like a bang on left back. I remember Austin Trusty maybe getting some minutes over there too. So it was definitely not as nailed on as these guys. So, yeah. so that, that's promising because that's usually a, a weakness um, in our roster and maybe an, a, an area where other teams look to find weakness. And that's definitely a strength for these guys. Yeah. No, that's really encouraging. And it yeah. does make the center back concerns a little bit less of a concern. I mean, there's still a concern, but you're not as – I don't think we're going to be relying on the center backs to make last-ditch defensive – uh, interventions quite as much as maybe we we would have if our left back was less experienced. Right back, we've got that's a great point, by the way. Yeah, right back, we've got uh, Manny Manny Perez, who we've already discussed. Really, really good player who's 
you know, for reasons that you've already explained, still kind of a college kid. Um, he's, he's tricky and technical. He's, he's a goal scorer. Like you said, he's played wing and wing back at NC state. And now he's a, now he's playing fullback with the national team, with the youth national team seems to be very comfortable defending and very comfortable on the ball. And that's, that's a great thing to see. Jalen Lindsay also plays right back, can also play left back. He's, he's gotten uh, MLS minutes with Sporting KC this year and has looked pretty good. Not incredibly good, but good enough on a very good SKC team. I don't know. Have you been down and seen him at all? Not not in person, but a lot of my buddies here in, in Omaha are pretty big SKC fans. And so they'll kind of keep me plugged in with how he's been. I've watched him twice over the last couple months. And yeah, I, I watched, I think, the first game he came on on. And you're right. They plugged him in at a left back. And I mean... He wasn't a hindrance to that team. I mean, granted, he's playing next to Beesler, so that makes things a little bit easier. Yes, but uh, yeah. Lin- Lindsay's, yeah, I mean, he's uh, definitely a good prospect. Definitely a guy who I don't think I had batted an eye at at either at either fullback spot. So, so that's, yeah, like you said, that's promising. I guess the, there's two other names I'd mention: uh, Sergino Dest uh, at Ajax. He's been playing. Uh, he played with the U17s in the World Cup in India last fall, and he's not the most proactive player on the ball, but but he never gets beat 1v1, and he's really tough. Uh, so that's so he's definitely an option. Doesn't seem like he's been in the picture. Has he? Has he been in any of these camps? Yeah, I think he's been in multiple, actually. I think, oh, okay. Okay, I take it back. Here. He's been in, yeah, he was in the, he's a, he was in Honduras, and he was in France. Yep, in the, two. Yeah. Yeah, he's started a couple games, I think, because I, you know, I, I keep track of some, how many minutes they've played, and he's gotten some minutes with Tabs. So, obviously, that's an option, uh, good option, uh, yeah. in, in Tabs' eyes. So, yeah, definitely promising. Last name I'll mention is Akil Watts, who just signed with RCD Mallorca, right? Yeah. So, there you go. Four right back possibilities. You probably have more names in your hopper. Me and everybody else listening to this podcast do. <laughs> Who else is there? You know, I, I really like Ian Hoffman. He's a kid that plays at uh, Karlsruher in Germany, uh, was at Cologne for a while. He's more of a, uh, well, you know, I think that's, I've been talking to people close to him for a while, and they have him playing as like an eight or a number 10 in their academy, but kind of like Perez, um, the U.S. sees him more of as a right back, a, a marauding light right back. And so he got some run at the most recent uh, mega camp. Um, I think he was in the U18s, but they were kind of moving him around too. And I, I, you know, people were telling me he had a really good camp and he's a 2001 Ian Hoffman. So that's a name to keep an eye on. And again, as a, as a galaxy kind of Academy guy, um, uh, John Hilton, Zushu Hilton as a guy that uh, was over kind of figuring out Europe right now. But um, some of the performances I saw, Shushu play when he was younger. Um, he's a guy that I'll, I'll never disclude from any of these rosters. I don't think he's going to make the U.S. roster. Um, I still think he's got quite the potential to be a, a, a key piece to the U.S. pool. A guy that um, hmm. over the last couple of years has slid down the, ro- the roster or the player pool within the United States, but some of the people close to the program were telling me he's like a top one or two prospect in the pool as of about a year ago. So he's just trying to really cut his teeth in Europe. He was wanted by every major club. 
to be in their academy, but as an American, just couldn't do that. So they're trying to figure that out right now. Uh, but I, I will say that um, there's some pretty big clubs in Europe that are just waiting for him to turn 18. The, the, the concerning thing is um, how much has his level of play fallen off since he's not playing any meaningful games for God, a number of years, I'll say. So he's trying to make that work, but he's a guy that's um, he's a pure right back and uh, one of the better ones I've seen at a young level in a long time. So yeah, I always forget about him because he, you know, he sort of he sort of came onto the scene and got a lot of people's attention before I was one of these people paying a lot of attention. So yeah, I I, I forget about him. But when does he turn eighteen? Oh, he's a 2001, and I can look up his birthday real quick. He, he, he's a guy that was constantly playing up a year or two with the United States men's national teams. So he's a June 15th, 2001-er. So he's next June. I'll say this. Okay. I'll say that as of next June, he'll be on a, he'll, he'll, he will get a professional contract in Europe. I'm confident in saying that. The problem is getting to next June. So Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, more no, he's, than he's a great player. The other area of strength I wanted to talk about is uh, attacking midfield and the wing. I really think those positions are stacked. More, in my opinion, there's more creative talent in this pool than in the last U twenty cycle. Not even close, really. And um, most of these, a lot of these kids, like Ledesma. And a Carlton can sort of float between the wing and a central role with ease. Um, we talked about Mendez and Ledesma and Durkin sort of anchoring the attack, but we've got Carlton. Um, we've got Carlton probably plant, lining up on the wing. Tidegway, we already talked about. Uliana, as we already talked about some. And we didn't talk about him that much. He also plays at the Galaxy with the Galaxy. Uh, second team in USL. He's just a pure winger, you know, loves to take people on from the touchline. Yeah. Stay wide and then take people on. Yeah. Which is, which, which works well, I think in this four, three, four, three, three. Absolutely. And, um, maybe needs to work on ball security a little bit. I'm sure he, I'm sure he's aware of that. Uh, it didn't have a great game in the DA final. Uh, but, but he's, but he's a, you know he's got that ability to play a, a pass that wrong foots an entire defense the way Carlton can, and he's a he's a pretty good finisher as well. Paxton Pomacall is somewhere in the mix. You know he's he's playing. He's got a few minutes at FC Dallas, kind of as a I don't know. Has he been playing as a ten or? I think I think right? more of his yeah, like a left winger. Yeah, I, he's he's got a pretty strong left foot, and so I'm not sure if they're putting him as a inverted winger on the right to come in and, and, and hit it with his left but or keeping on the left because I know he got I know he got a couple games with Dallas and I missed him yeah uh, I've seen him I've seen him as an inverted winger and I've seen him slot in as like a eight slash ten um I'm not sure what to make of him I mean he's clearly a technical player with uh and, and a clever player but he hasn't quite you know he hasn't put it together at the MLS level which is not not a big knock against him. He's still a kid. Yeah, because I think he's a young ninety-nine, or like I think his birthday's like in December, if I remember correctly. Like he's he's not a you know he's not you know he's younger for his age group. I'll say so. He's more along the Carlton line than necessarily a 
you know, another 99 kids. So. Okay. Okay. So we got those yeah. four and then, I mean, Conrad De La Fuente at Barcelona is somewhere out there. We already talked about Justin Rennix. And then Matt Hundley, who's gotten some run with the U19s, is a, is a player who scores goals in the DA. And we haven't even gotten into the central midfielders yet. So, Yeah, I mean, just quick on Hundley, I mean, Again, kind of talking about those college guys. He's gonna. He's off to UCLA. I mean, if you're relying on a college guy to come in and, you know, qualify you for the World Cup, um, I'm not saying a college player can't right now. But again, they're, they're gonna have some heavy legs if they're pressing in college and traveling all around. They're not getting much practice. They're not getting much rehab. They're playing two games a week. It's it's demanding. And so guys like Hunley or even Amaya, Renix, Dorsey. Um, That'll be something to watch as we watch this roster take uh, uh, start to shape up come come middle of the fall. How many minutes those guys are getting, whether they're impressing, whether they've shut it down a little bit because they know they're going to be on the roster or what have you. Um, but yeah, back to Pomacol. Where do you think he'd be? Where do you think is his best spot? Do you think he has a, a role as a creative midfielder with all the guys you've mentioned? Uh, Ledesma and Mendez. Do you see him playing with those guys, or do we have to put a player like that on the wing? Um, man, I, I, he, I wouldn't put him in my first choice 11, you know, but he, a lot of people rate him very highly and he's, you know, he, he got to, he got to start a major league soccer game for a good Dallas team. He sure. Didn't, he didn't play particularly well, but, um, I guess I hesitate to, my my instinct says he shouldn't even be on the roster. He's not good enough. But then I I take those data points that he that you know Oscar Pereja sees enough in him to to continue to give him playing time. And you know FC Dallas is the what third best team in MLS right now. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm I'm a little torn on Pomacall. He, he he's not fast enough to be a pure winger. He's uh, he's not tough enough to be an eight. So it's like almost like he has to be the ten, but yeah. is he is he good enough at that to to get that spot on the field? Doesn't look like it to me, but I, I guess I go back to the fact that he's he's the age that he is and he's getting minutes at MLS. Yeah, you know, and I, kind of looking back on some of Tab's rosters, I'm not sure how many pure tens that we've played with at this level. I mean. If you had, a, if he had a, a pure ten come along that was a no brainer, uh, then you play him at the ten. But I feel like most midfields that he's put out are guy are, are like you said, guys that keep the the width of the field, wingers that keep the width, and then some guys more in the middle of the park. And and in the last couple of years, he's played with, uh, or he has intended to play with uh, Gideon Zillalum, uh, the Arsenal kid, as more of a, a playmaker, a deep lying playmaker, and kind of surrounding him with some some steel in the midfield. Uh, Luca Della Torre is maybe a 10, but, you know, maybe more of an eight kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I just, I think you're right. I think Pomacall is more of a 10. And I just don't think that with what we have uh, specifically in this, the kind of where the strengths lie on this roster, I just don't think he has a spot to play that position with some of the other players. I don't think he gets into that spot over Mendez or Ledesma. I think those guys are no brainer starters at this, at this juncture. Um, 
And, and yeah, I just, I just don't know if he's our best option at winger right now either, but he's obviously got quality. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where that, where that shakes out because, um, yeah, cause we could, we could use, we could use some players and I, I kind of disagree with you. I think our wingers, especially for qualifying, I think that's an area of weakness. Hmm. Honestly, I think that there's some, some promising players there, but if Eamon doesn't get the call or Tadagway doesn't come or Giannis isn't there, and you're, you know, then you're really kind of digging a little deeper to get some of those players. Um, and we kind of mentioned, you've mentioned them a little bit, but Shaft Brewer has been at every um, uh, U20 camp. So I think he's kind of a guy that is is on this roster and he's a solid winger, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to come up with magic for you. Like maybe some other players that we would no. like. Um, and Io Akinola's getting maybe some more run with Toronto. He's a guy that I think does make the roster for World Cup qualifying too, um, but again, he's not a guy that I'm thinking, oh, this guy's going to light CONCACAF up. He's had some good moments with the U-17s, but I mean, it's pretty well documented that he's got some technical skills um, uh, that aren't up to par. Uh, he's very dangerous and speedy, but he has got a great foot, right foot, but um, you know, the ball gets away from him a, l- a little often too. And so if you're putting a guy like Akinola or Brewer across some Yanez, well, now, now those turn into you know maybe some areas where teams see some weakness and and pressure those players to turn the ball over often, and then they're off the races. So it, it's it's tough, you know. You 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 don't want to, you know, you don't want to have to fit, you know, squares in a round pegs kind of thing. But Pomico might have a, a spot on the wing if he can just control the ball a little bit better than some of those other players, and maybe just not give you a lot going forward as much as some of those other guys. So. Yeah, I mean, I like I want to have players like Pomacall on the field who can who like the ball at their feet and can connect passes. Um, but I just I just like to see I, I'm going to keep watching him at at FC Dallas every time he plays and trying to see. I mean, I was up late Saturday night watching uh, just so I could see his like eight minute cameo. <laughs> um, and he you know he hustled on a like the last play of the game in a three one win. Um, took the ball off the feet of the center back and squared it to Jesus Ferreira, another young American at FC Dallas. And Ferreira like blasted it over the crossbar and looked devastated uh, to boot. So I was like, you know, that's a good moment from Pomacall in garbage time. But I just want to see more from him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think at this point, uh, the, the U-20 roster shouldn't be just guys based on you know, they're on a roster and they've got potential. They should be guys showing out in some kind of professional league. And that can be USL, honestly, oh, yeah. as long as they're getting pro minutes and, and, and competing week in, week out for their position. Um, that's the kind of level that we, that this roster should be at. And I think there's a lot of that, but there's areas where there's not as much of it going on as we would hope. And if maybe those some of those first-level guys aren't doing it, I would just, you know, I think as we continue to go, you know, and build the, the, the systems like the USLs of the 19 DA 19 playoffs and, and all that stuff become bigger and bigger. We're going to get more of that depth, but right now it's just, I feel like it's still not there. Um, so it's disappointing, but yeah. Let's, well, let's no, well, like, like let's talk about the wingers just real quick. I mean, we can skip the midfield cause we talked about a lot of those guys already. Um, but unless you have something you want to say about it, but no, the Carlton, Carlton and Ty, Taitagwe and Yanez. I mean, our general feeling after all this discussion is that they're both going to be, they're all three going to be there in qualifying, right? I mean, unless, unless Taitagwe makes the first team at Schalke, 
which yeah. you think might happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair statement. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Having said that, I think our wingers are probably solidified. I guess, yeah, I guess I still... You, my, you're, you're a little worried that some one or two or maybe all three of those guys isn't going to be there. Yeah, because yeah, cause I feel like if you have one or two of those guys, I think you can kind of make up for the rest with just... You know, Brewer's been at multiple camps. Akinola's been with the system. Renex and Dorsey are seen as, you know, they're elder statesmen of the group. They, you know, they're, yeah. they're older. And so there's some some ability there. But if you if you miss out on, like, Carlton can't get the call and Tadigway doesn't come, then you're really, I think that's, and then you're and then you're still looking for a number nine. Well, then where are the goals coming from? You know what I mean? You're having, I mean, you're really going to have to start pressuring Mendez and Ledesma to get higher, higher, higher. And that's, that's dangerous because I don't know if Renix is going to give you a couple goals or uh, Raffinello is going to give you a couple goals. I just don't know where the goals come from to, 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 to qualify for this tournament if you miss out on some of those wingers. Yeah. So I think a lot's dependent on them if, if Soto doesn't come. So much depends on Tab Ramis' uh, lobbying ability, doesn't it? Totally. All right, how many – if any Josh Sargents will we see in this cycle? How many players will play up an age group to join this squad? I'm thinking of De La Fuente. Uh, Giannis. Well, Giannis. I mean, Giannis is, we're pretty sure he's going to be involved. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would think so. If he gets, if he's available, which I, I think he will be for sure. Uh, then I think he's a key member to this team. Yeah. The other names that come to mind are Giovanni Reina gets, you know, he gets a lot of, uh, he gets a lot of attention. Son of Claudio Reyna, 15 years old, one of the best players in the U19 um, age group in the DA, and uh, and played very well, it should be noted, in the DA final. Um, and then jo- George Bello, who's who's been injured for a couple of months, but is an excellent, excellent, excellent left back. It has proven himself at the USL level in his you know handful of appearances as being completely unfazed by it. Do you think any of these guys is going to is going to get a last second sergeant sergeant-esque call up? Yeah, I mean, I think that Bellows really good and I do think that he's you know, rapidly rising through the USL ranks. I just think that he's a victim of there's you know quality left backs who have been in Tabs U20 rock camps for a, a while. And even if Bellows maybe at that level, I just think that they, he goes Tab goes with the guys he's been tutoring for these positions for a year and a half. So I don't think Bellow gets the call. I think Reyna is um, a great player and has lots of potential, um, and I think is going to learn a lot in Germany. I just don't know if I don't know what his best position is right now, and I don't know if he knows what his best position is right now. I just th- I just don't think that'd be a very good environment to bring him into. Um, you know, if they wanted to play winger, I think he could play there. But I just think there's better natural wingers uh, than Giovanni Reyna right now. But you know, if, if he if he does well wherever he goes in Germany, I think he's a guy that could absolutely um, you know rocket into the World Cup roster next year. I just don't think he does it by qualifying time. And then the answer to your question, I think I do think that Conrad De La Fuente. I think that he you know if he continues to play as well as he did this last year with Barcelona, I think he's a player that would probably make this roster um, for the World Cup next year. Um, I think he's um, plays at a position where there might be some weakness if some of the other guys are playing more first team football mm-hmm. with Amen and Tatagwe and Pamacall. If those guys are all unavailable or, or or don't you know can't get a release for whatever reason to play in the World Cup, 
I think Dela Fuente wouldn't have a problem getting a release from Barcelona. I don't think he's going to be a first team player at Barcelona ever. So I think that it's important <laughs> for him to um, to take these opportunities to, to to highlight himself and showcase himself as a player that has quality, is an international player, and is a player that could probably be scooped up by another team. Um, so yeah, I think that he's a player to watch out for. I know that him and Giannis play together fairly frequently in these national teams and that they play well together. Mm-hmm. So um, I think having them run in the flanks, if uh, that's what it comes down to next year, could be pretty pretty menacing. What about in qualifying? Is De La Fuente going to be available for that? I, I don't know why he wouldn't be, but my thought is if they wanted to incorporate him for qualifying, he would have been on this roster. Mm. Kind of like kind of like Taylor Booth. Like if they wanted an 0-1 for the, for the, you know, for the qualifying, I think they would have brought him along. So, you know, I don't think he's necessarily a qualifying guy. Um, but I think he can, he, he's, he's maybe one of the only ones that can have the kind of meteoric rise uh, to just come out of nowhere like Sargent did last year and make the U20 roster. And with that said, Sargent was getting U20 run uh, the January before the World Cup. So it's not like he came out of nowhere. You know, I mean, obviously he was a U17, but Tab wanted him with the U20s. Uh, well before the World Cup too, so right didn't Tab make the decision around Christmas time or something? I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, I, you got any players you kind of earmarked to to make that leap? Well, I think you're right about Bello Bello's position being pretty full, and there being really no need for him at this point. Especially, I think he's also been hurt by the fact that he's been hurt and. <laughs> uh, and you know if he were if he were lighting it up in USL the way I think he would be if he were healthy, it might be a different conversation. But he's not. He's sitting. He, he's he's sitting it out because he's hurt. So that combined with the fact that there are a lot of people, a lot of good left backs available, means he's probably not going to be brought in. I I don't have any like reason to believe that Gio Reyna is going to be uh, involved, but I would. I would like him to be involved. Um, I think he's got. I think he's got a kind of attacking quality that there isn't a ton of uh, in American soccer in general. You know, he can ma- he makes stuff happen. Um, he's a good passer, and he's he's a good shooter. Is is that a proper soccer term? Good shooter. Yeah, sure. It sounds like an American soccer term. And and I you know I'll tell you I was kind of I was more skeptical of him a few weeks ago than I am today because I saw him on the same field with Efra Alvarez and uh, Ulianes and Alex Mendez oftentimes you know in duels with Mendez and Alvarez and and he looked fine he looked totally like uh, you know equal to those those players. And when somebody looks equal to Alex Mendez on the field, that that makes me perk up a little bit. And I'm thinking, like, well, maybe the hype is maybe the hype is justified in the, in Reyna's case. So he's the shout that I would have, and uh, De La Fuente too, because I noticed the same thing as you. He he and Yanez play well together. He's great on the wing. Not as De La Fuente is not as good at the nine, which is how he was played by Omen Namazi a little bit against Costa Rica and some friendlies in. Sure. February, not yeah. as not as good at the nine, but very good on the wing. I, so I wouldn't, I would love, I would love to see uh, either or both of those guys considered at a minimum, depending on who's available. 
it doesn't look like Raynet's going to be considered though. So yeah, and I, th- I think like we were saying that if, if those guys are getting the opportunity to make the roster, well then that probably means good things are happening for the guys ahead of them, which is good for the pool in general. So uh-huh. just kind of, again, one of those next men up things. And I just want to commend both you and I, we've waited, I don't even know how many hours we're into this, but you finally mentioned Efra Alvarez, and I just was wondering how long it was going to take for either you or me to mention him on this podcast. So we made it a couple hours, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, he's the best uh, best goal scorer in the in the player pool in America. I mean, Probably. if if I mean, you're right. I mean, his 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 USL numbers are like staggering, and if there was any other player in the pool putting up the kind of numbers he he is. I mean, we would just be drooling over that, no? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's he's head and shoulders. I mean, when it comes to having the composure and the technique to score goals, and also he's a good passer, he's he's head and shoulders above Ulianes, who is a player I rate very highly. And he's he's head and shoulders above, I think, all of these guys, possible he, exception he, of Sargent. Is he better than Carlton? At scoring goals? Yes. At, at being a 10. Ugh. Um, it's really hard to say. I mean, I, I, he took a little bit of a hit in my view from the way he played in that DA final. I'm, I'm like, I'm drawing a lot of conclusions from that DA final, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a great game with some hot, I mean, there was quality on both sides. So. Yeah. It was a big game, a lot of good players, and... Um, Alvarez was a little bit invisible in that game until the until the very end of like in the first half of extra time he he almost scored a couple goals but he wasn't it wasn't his best performance. Yeah, so I'll it, say the Galaxy players. Sorry to interrupt. They, I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I mean they played. God, who did they play the game before? The Crew? No, yeah. Vancouver. I mean they played. The, yeah, they Vancouver. Played a long, they played a double OT. What 120 minute game two days prior. I mean, and these guys are 15 years old, so I'm not going to complain about their muscle soreness or anything like that. But they were, I mean, Alvarez doesn't get around the park like everybody else. I mean, he's a, definitely a luxury player. Yeah. I mean, but what he affords you on the field is, is like you said, just completely different than anybody else that we've talked about today. We've talked about some good players, but the things he can do, um, not many other players can do. And so like, I do period. Wonder, like period, yeah, like period, not yeah, just period. among teenagers, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe even like, yeah, within the full national team, I'm not sure if there's many players that can do what he does. And so, um, obviously yeah. his, his story is well known that he's, you know, he's been in and out or he was in the U S camp. Now he's in Mexico's camp. It seems pretty firmly entrenched, but he's only been into the U 17s for Mexico, never been called to the U 18s or U 19s or U 20s. So, I've asked around. I mean, if, if Tab called him up, I think he would listen. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of backstory that goes along with that. So I'm just not sure if they're going to own up to to making that call, which is disappointing because Alvarez is, has lots of quality. And I think that if you can incorporate somebody like that to your player pool, you should. You should do whatever you need to to get that done. But I don't know. Yeah, there's a backstory here that nobody wants to talk about. That nobody will tell. People say there's a backstory, but they won't tell you <laughs> what the backstory is. And um, it's kind of it seems like it's kind of a theme with this sort of stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, but I like, mean, not to get too off topic, but 
it's I mean, it's just constantly a theme with the Latino players, is it not? And I'm I'm not coming from the side of U.S. soccer. Um, I'm coming from the side of the Latino players. It's just that this seems to constantly be this constantly happens with Latino coaches or Latino players in our pool as they're ostracized for whatever reason. And um, I feel like we lose more talent than we should, both in the coaching ranks and the player pool. So it's disappointing because I don't know if Alvarez walks into this roster. I'm not sure head-to-head if he's better than Andrew Carlton. But I know they both play in the USL. And I I know that Efra Alvarez scores a goal every 60 minutes in the USL. I know that none of, nobody else in this roster can 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 boast like that. So. Yeah, nobody else in USL scores goals as Correct. often as he does. I mean, and these aren't these aren't like tap ins. These are um, yeah, they're amazing goals. Yeah, they're all good. They've all been good goals, and good is an understatement for most of them. Um, there's there's been a couple in particular where he uh, where he's coming in at the like attacking the goal for, sort of from the keeper's left. So like he's coming in, coming at the goal from the right, yeah, and and he opens up his body and uh, and just bends it, bends it far post in a way I, that in a way that just seems like so surprising. Unnatural. Yes, yeah, I, I I watched those goals over and over, and I mean I played soccer in high school. I mean nothing special whatsoever. I just physically watching him do that. I I can't believe that happens when I watch that happen. Yeah. I just try to envision myself in that position, even though I'm not left-footed. And I just, I don't know how that happens, but it just looks perfect. And I just watch that and I think, that dude's 15 years old doing this kind of thing. And and yet, you know, I don't know. There's, he, he does it so naturally. I mean, yeah. it's, it just happens. It's almost, it looks like it's instinctive. And then, but but it's not, it's not just instinct because he's, he's an intelligent goal scorer. I, his last goal in USL was coming from the same position after having done this twice, these like just mind-boggling bend bent shots at the far post, he comes. He he gets into the same spot. He shapes his body like he's gonna hit it far post, just like he had two times earlier in the season, and he and he strikes it at the near post. You know, just totally wrong foots the keeper. Sure. And um, I know that kind of intelligence and composure is rare. Yeah. I, I wish I wish he would was included in 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 our pool more, and it scares me to think if if Mexico isn't thinking about calling him up for this level, then what do they have in front of him? Because because uh, I think he would he would bring obvious quality to this to this squad, and uh, if he was still with the U.S. Youth National Team setup and he's scoring this many goals in USL, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be on this roster. So disappointing. Is he a little out of shape? Do you think? I mean, he's a he's a he's a he's a big boned kid. Sure. Is he? I um, mean, I don't think I don't. D- does he track back and defend well? N- not at all. Um, could he pass the beep test? Probably not. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. But again, when when you have players with his natural ability, I don't think you force those guys to. Those are luxury players that you just. You surround them with pieces that make them better because their better is better than anybody else's better yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and so I if agree. that makes any sense, if you just you don't force him to, to conform to a system. You almost build your attack around somebody like that. And that sounds very naive and dangerous, but I mean, the guy's proving it on a level that's way above where anybody his age is. And so 
I don't know. You know, I, I, I would, I would, I would make the call to his house and call him up and see if he wants to play. I can't say that they haven't done that, but um, I feel like if they would have done that, we would have heard about it. Um, and I just think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that um, they should work harder at getting him back in the fold because I think he, I think he would listen. I do. I think he said he would listen. Yeah, he's made think, it clear think, that he would listen. Yeah. So, so what's what's the holdup? What are we waiting for? What 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 does he need to show them right now that that finally says, you know what, we should call that guy. He's you know he needs to score a goal every game or every forty minutes to to get the call. I mean, what does he need to do? You know what I mean? He's done everything. So yeah. At this point, if they haven't called him now, I don't see why they would call him next year. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for for the uninitiated, if you're listening to this and you're still thinking, like, what are you guys talking about? Um, Alvarez was with the U.S. U-15s, wasn't he? Four, yeah, I mean, he was he was with the U-14s, 15s, playing up two and three years. So, I mean, he was getting calls up to the 99 camps as a 2002. So some of these guys that are, you know, on this squad, he was with a few of those initial camps coming up. So... He knows these guys. He's played with these guys other than the DA. Um, you know, he knows Carlton's and obviously Mendez's and Durkin's and Goslin's. The guys who've been around forever, he knows those guys because he's been in those camps. And, uh, I mean, he's always played up. So, I mean, the U.S. knew from an early age that he was a player with quality. Um, and then, I'll, I mean, you know, he... he yeah, he, he left the system and went to play for Mexico sometime in, I think it was in the fall of 2016, uh, Sounds about right. When he was he had he played he played in a game with the U15s with Gio Reyna. He was on the, Gio Reyna and he scored both scored in a win over some respectable country. I forget which which one it was. And then the next thing you know, he's playing for Mexico. And and, but, and if, he, if he wants to identify and play with Mexico, if that's where his heart is, I got no problem against it. But every in-depth piece on him that's come out is obviously he's – I don't think it, – it's pretty clear to me, and maybe I'm just wearing my USA-tinted glasses or whatever, but I mean I just feel like he hasn't made his decision. You know, I think he likes the way things are going with Mexico because I feel like their system highlights players with his qualities better. Um, and so that's, that's where it becomes disappointing to me is that when you have players that are special, we should – we should try to encapsulate their skills a little bit more than we do. I feel like too often we try to fit those skills into our system and it just both the player and the product just fail. And I feel like we should, now I'm not saying Tab needs to shift his whole lineup around him, but you know, yeah, I, I guess I am kind of saying that, that he's a player that I would want on the field, uh, during qualifying or during a world cup. So, I mean, you wouldn't have to shift that much around, just make him the 10. Yeah, yeah, I, you know that that would require dropping Mendez or Ledesma, which is tough because mm. I don't think you want to drop either one of those. Or you could put Ledesma on a wing, maybe. Yeah, because I think totally, you want to pair Alvarez could, and Mendez in the midfield. They they've worked together for years. Put those guys in front of Goslin, Ledesma on a wing, and whoever the hell you want on the other wing, Carlton or Yanez or whoever, and then you'd be pretty stacked. And um, you just would need to make sure that some of those guys in the wings got back. I think Mendez would know his role um, as the eight behind Alvarez because he's played there for, I don't know, seven years behind that guy. So I think he would know what to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
I guess you're right. I guess it could be done. Yeah, I mean, Carlton or, or Ledesma would probably be the odd man out and all that. Maybe Mendez would. You know, Mend- I could see Ledesma starting over Mendez. Um, but it's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. I hope it does, but it's probably not going to happen. The coach, it should be noted, who coached his last game with the U.S. was uh, Dave Vandenberg, who I think is now the coach of the U19s. So that would be he can, that put, would be he can put that on his resume. <laughs> yeah, probably probably not his shining moment. I would say. I like Vandenberg a lot. I think he's he's scouted well for the U.S. in the past, um, but whatever happened with Alvarez is not good, and it just it just seems to happen more often than you know it happens more often than I feel like it should. Maybe this happens with every national team uh, losing players between other nations, but um, gosh, yeah, we don't know what happened. I mean, you may know what happened and just can't say. I honestly do not know what happened. So <laughs> I don't know all what happened. I know a little bit, but. I just know that we could be doing more to get him back in the fold if we wanted to. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on from that. And uh, when we come back, we'll give our rosters. And what we have here... Okay, so we're going to each give our roster, uh, and this is what we want. This is what we want Tab Ramos to do, uh, considering what's realistic and what we've already described. Does that make sense, Joey? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for this. Okay, so why don't we start with the goalkeepers? You go first. Yeah, we never, we didn't really even touch on that at all, but there's actually some pretty good goalkeepers in the pipeline, and we're actually going to keep some good ones off here. But I'll say Brady Scott gets his release from uh, Cologne and, and is the, the starting keeper. And I actually really like Trey Muse, the goalkeeper from uh, Kentucky and Seattle Sounders Academy, who's playing at Indiana. So those are my two goalkeepers that I would take to qualifying. Okay, and Muse is in Raleigh right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he's on. I think he's probably the. Well, you know, Justin Garces, who's with Atlanta USL and U uh, seventeen fame, he's with them too, and I think he's. Obviously, probably competing with Muse for the second spot, but I think Trey Muse has uh, um, uh, got the number two lockdown right now. I'll say. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say Brady Scott is the starter too, and but I'm gonna have Garces as my number two, and I will say I think there's a chance Garces overtakes Scott. Wow, he's playing, kid's playing really really well. He's got some he USL minutes. Um, Chris Durkin gave him a shout out on the podcast last week so that definitely affects my view of things but yeah scott and garces with garces maybe competing for the starting job excellent center backs uh i'll go first and then you okay 
Excellent. We, these are already set in stone. We're not changing our. Uh, we're not changing based on what the other is saying. Just so you all know. <laughs> um, Mark McKenzie and Leonard Manol Leonard Maloney are my two starters, and then uh, Chris Richards and James Sands as the backups. We've already. We will, yeah. We've discussed all these guys at length, but um, that there we go. That's my four. I'll go. I'll go McKenzie and Chris Richards to start, and I'll go Maloney and Angel Uribe uh, to back them up. Okay. Uribe would be my fifth, so we're not too far off of each other there. Um, right back, you go first. So Manny Perez to start, and I do have Serginio Dest on the roster for World Cup qualifying as well. Oh, brother. Me too. Exactly exactly the same. I just, I, I, I you know, I, I struggled whether Dest or Lindsay was going to get the backup role. And uh, um, a couple months ago when we first started putting this together, and Lindsay's played awesome. I don't think he's going to be able, I don't think he's going to be available. Do you? E, no, he's yeah, not. Yeah, in case he keeps him. So. Yeah, well, so left back, I was going to have Lindsay as my starting left back because I haven't been as impressed with Real. And um, and I think Lindsay, that pro experience and that the athleticism, the, his ability to lock things down, uh, gives him the nod. But you're right, he's not going to be there. It's not realistic, Bells. So, <laughs> um, so let's go Real and Stanley. Yeah, I got I got Matt Real starting. He's I think he's gotten over 200 minutes in the MLS this year, so it's not like he hasn't played a ton. Um, but I, I'm just taking him. Uh, I don't have another left back. Okay. I, I would say if I was taking a second one, I would take Bynes from Charlotte Independence. I, I like Stanley a lot, um, but I think Sam Bynes is, is a better better left back, honestly. Okay. And But you don't need another left back because Dest can cover both sides, right? Yes. And, and he can play in the midfield a little bit too. So that's why I have him on my roster is that he can play as a winger a little bit, but he can play left or right-sided. Same with Lindsay, if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. But Lindsay's not going to be not going to be there, almost certainly. Um, okay, the number six. I've got yeah, yeah. yeah you, go ahead. I've no, got go ahead. I've got Chris Durkin, as we discussed, and Chris Goslin as the backup. That's exactly what I have: Durkin and Goslin. I mean, Cervania Cervania has a chance here. And he has uh, he has a chance all summer to prove himself at Tulsa, so you know he could sneak in there ahead of Goslin, I think. But for for now, I think Goslin's a better player. Yeah, a couple. I mean, Zawatsky I talked about a little bit at Georgetown, and then Dylan Teves, who's at Seattle, has been playing a lot in the six for Seattle too. So those are some other players that maybe get the spot. But I think with Durkin, you're getting every minute of the the whole qualifying from him, honestly. So if he's available, I mean, there's really no real point to having a true backup in that spot because I don't think Durkin comes off, honestly. Right. So I'll, that, I'll go, yeah. That's, and that's the way we want it. I mean, like yeah, like yeah, you said earlier, sure. I mean, Durkin, Durkin, with Durkin at the helm and the attacking quality, I think that could be on this team. And a, and a, as long as the defense remains really solid, this could be a, this could be a really fun team to watch, I think. So I'll go with my number eights. I have Alex Mendez and Richard Ledesma. Okay, so you just have two more midfielders, essentially? Yeah. Do you have any backups need. for them? Uh, no. Those are my eights. Okay. 
You know what? I just realized I screwed up, and I have a 22-man roster, which is not going to work. Let me uh, let me just – I'm going to just copy you and drop Stanley. Okay. Fair enough? Fair enough, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're partners in this. We're not trying to <laughs> – outscore each other we gotta we gotta make sure this team makes the world cup that's so right. it's on it's, it's on a, us to it's make on our work. shoulders it's on I mean, our shoulders who else is stepping up to do this you know <laughs> okay so durkin and goslin um yeah mendez and ledesma are my my two starting other starting midfielders with durkin and i think i will take i'm gonna take blaine Ferry. okay i know he's i know tab ramos is not gonna do that but i want him there that it's your yeah. I mean, I think that's good. All right, we got wingers. Give me, give them to me, Joey. So, I so yeah, wingers. I'll I'll do Andrew Carlton is on my roster. Uli Yanez is on my roster. Uh, uh, Schaff Brewer is on my roster. Paxton Pomacall is on my roster. Ao Akinola is on my roster. Nick Tatagway is on my roster. Oh, you're going to so do a lot of rotation on the wing, huh? Oh, you, you, yeah. I mean, I think that all those players can play as a 10. Well, not, I, you know, I really think that they're going to play with two eights and a six. I don't think they're going to play with a pure 10. I think if Carlton's going to – I think Carlton's going to start on the wing, to be honest. I think they're going to play Mendez and Ledesma. And I think that uh, – I probably should have told you Frankie Amaya, the kid going to UCLA, who I have listed under Carlton – as I guess uh, I thought we were going to go over tens next. I guess I have him as my, another midfielder that can swap between the eight and the 10. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so that's what I have. And again, because I've painted myself into a corner without Soto and I don't really love a lot of these other options. The only other player I have on my roster is Justin Renix. So I have him as the nine and then about what, six wingers, yeah. uh, winger 10 positions. So, so yeah, sorry to, no, that's okay. That's Carlton, Amaya, Giannis, Pomacol, Brewer, Tadaguay, Akinola, and Renix. It's kind of my attacking core. Okay. Which again, there's some some to be des- some something to be desired left left desired there. There's there's possibly some holes and some goal goal scoring concerns. Yeah, I mean maybe wise given the the weakness of the nine position after Soto. To just kind of skip the position altogether. Um, yeah, Amaya has a good shout. I haven't seen him lately. Is he on that? Is he on that U twenty? He's not. Okay. Not on the one right here. But he's gotten called up to a number of. The, he got called up to the France camp. He's the one that scored the goal to beat France. That's right. And he's another one of the guys that you know when they had that mega camp. The 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 coaches that I talked with were really raving about how well he played, and he went from kind of an unknown prospect to now you know, UCLA's gem for the number 10 next year. So again, I worry about that him a little bit, maybe George Acosta's, uh, you know, taking over his spot or Blaine Ferry could come into play. Um, but I'll, I'll stick with him just because he impressed so much over those, you know, over that three month time frame between the mega camp and the, that France camp. So. Okay. How about you? Who are your wings and tens? So I just went very conventional with like two, you know, two left wings, two right wings, and two two nines. And yeah. I I sort of I sort of consider Ledesma my ten, and um, 
Carlton Carlton could come in and play the ten too, sure. Uh, which would, you know, probably push Ledesma to the wing. But so my wingers are Carlton and Ty Tagwe to start, and then backing them up would be Yanez and Giovanni Reina. Oh, okay. Um, I just I just think he's he's good enough that he's. I know he. I know it won't happen, but I think he would fit in well, and um, he could also be a ten. So he's like plenty versatile. He could also maybe even be a nine. Hundred percent, you're right. He's played as a nine in some of those U15 cups they've gone over and played. He's been their nine, and I do wonder sometimes if that's his position moving moving forward as like a long term prospect. You know, I think it would make his dad crazy because his dad was such a good midfielder. Yeah, but I think that he's got. Uh, He's got the size to be a an interesting nine. Um, he's only fifteen and a half. He's just like a baby, and he's already like six feet tall. I know, I know. I you know, I I yeah. I mean, you you hate to play the long term game, but I mean, he's not. You know, is he going to be better than Josh Sargent? I mean, this is ridiculous. We're even talking about this, but long term, is he better as a winger, midfielder, or as a as a out and out striker? I, I don't know, but he's played as the nine. For the U.S. in some big games at his level, so it's a good shout because, again, n- nothing against some of the other players we've talked about at the nine behind Soto, but there's not much to be desired. So, yeah. And you're right; he showed it at the U19 level in the DA. I mean, it's not like he can't play against players older than him. He's constantly playing against players older than him. So, um, he. Yeah. I mean, outside of Justin Hawk and probably Alex Mendez. He was the most influential player on the field that night, like for for the for the you know from start to finish. Sure, sure, yeah. I don't know that told me a lot. So, and then my tens would be. I'm sorry, not my tens. My nines would be Sebastian Soto and Jeremy Raffanello. I guess my comments earlier probably tipped my hand there. <laughs> I I was I was sufficiently impressed by Raffanello to to think he deserves a, you know in a position of weakness he's pro- he he seems like he would work and Soto of course is you know I think he's almost like he's not Josh Sargent but in the absence of Josh Sargent he's far and away the first choice nine of For course sure. you don't you don't think he he'll be available and I you know I'm just being optimistic hoping he is. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm much more concerned than I was a couple months ago. But, you know, there's, uh, like I said, I, I kind of talked myself into maybe the staff knows more. I mean, they obviously know a lot more than we do. They haven't called in any obvious replacements for that position in this camp. Mm-hmm. And so they must feel confident in either their system with some of the players they have or they're confident they're going to get him for qualifying because they're not actively looking to solve that problem. So they must not think it's a big problem. Well, so. Right. Okay. Well, there you have it. The starting the the starting eleven would be. Do you do you agree? It would be Durkin, Ledesma, and Mendez in the middle. Yeah. And who would be your starting wingers? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Carlton, Tadigway, and Renix would oh. be my nine. Okay. Yeah. And then you'd have Real. And Perez at the fullback positions. Correct. And then Mackenzie and Richards and then Scott. Okay. Yeah. 
Go over yours real quick, just for keeping score home. Same, except for I would have Maloney ahead of Richards and Soto over Renix. Soto over Renix, and um, and then Garces. So, well, no, I probably have Scott over Garces still. That's, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Great minds think alike. Yeah, as they say. Well, and again, the the if you really look at the the minutes that players are getting with their clubs and who's been called into camps, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. You can kind of discern what, what the coach is like, you know, based on some of those, those numbers. So, yeah. Okay. Let's close out here by answering a few or trying, I guess I should say to answer a few questions that we solicited on Twitter. Thanks for doing that, Joey. Yeah. First one comes from Aaron kill kill That's how I pronounce it in my head. I've never spoken to him on the phone. With all of our young players going to Bayern, what is the club's strategy? Loan them out once they sign? What do you think? We got a bunch of kids that got Bayern now. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I knew that Duke was going Cameron Duke from SKC was going over to Europe. I didn't know he was going to Bayern, but I mean it's clear that and I don't know how many Bayern questions we have, but they're making an effort. They do not want to miss out on the next USA, you know, superstar. They want they obviously want the next Christian Pulisic to be a Bayern Munich player. And so they're doing everything they can to, to at least evaluate and build connections with as much um, talent as they can. And there's no, uh, should be no surprise that they're going after, oh, you know, 2000s and 2001s, uh, because that would give them the ability to get them into their U19s. And the question was, do you loan them out or sign them? Well, like most of the clubs, kind of that like we saw with Schalke, you get them into the, your U19 program, you see how well they progress through there. And if they can make the jump from the U19s to the full team like Pulisic did, like McKenney did, well, then you sign them up. If you if they can't make that jump, well, then this card's not the right word, but you look what you know. Look at Haji White's right situation with Schalke. They gave him the ability to earn that first-team spot. He didn't take it, and now they're looking elsewhere. So I think that's the model that uh, Byron will follow is what Schalke has done with their bevy of Americans. So. Mm-hmm. Pretty good question. Yeah. I'll ask you. I'll ask you one of them. Okay. Are you? Are we underrating Taylor Booth? He's gone from the U18s to the U19s, and now he's on the U20. He's a deep line playmaker that Tab has wanted for the U20s. Has he? Is he the deep line playmaker that Tab's wanted for the U20 teams? That's Alex Christensen. Christensen. Yeah, I. I mean, we covered Booth a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, I said earlier that I haven't seen it from him. And I, I, that's my, that's my position, but I can only, I'm only one man. I can only see so much. So I, I don't, I don't think I'm underrating Booth, but he's, but like, you know, as you, as you've pointed out, he is, he's obviously valued by the pool, but he's obviously valued by the U S soccer coaching staff. He played up, didn't he play up an age group yep. with 17s? Yeah. Yep. And you know, he's now he's getting a look. For the U20s. Wait, is he getting a look? Is he in this camp? He's in this camp. Yeah. So now he's getting a look here. I I don't think Tab Ramos is underrating him. Yeah, obviously not. I mean, I think if you look back on some of the U17 rosters that we've had in our history, there's only a select few that have made the World Cup rosters playing up a year at the U17 level. And off the top of my head, guys like Paul Areola, uh, Luis Gill, 
Kellen Acosta. I mean, some guys that were really highly thought of made those rosters as a as an underage player at U seventeen level. And so obviously, the guys, the scouts really like what Booth brings. So yeah, I mean, it's it's he's 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 really risen up to the U twenties right now. I just again, I don't see where he plays on this team. Yeah, I I don't either. I I agree with that. Next question. Um, this is definitely for you. Uh, <laughs> tell us what you think of the closing of IMG and having to spread out scouting. How much priority do you think IMG ki- kids got in choosing youth rosters? This I mean, it was Daniel. In, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Daniel. It was. It was. I mean, anybody who follows this stuff closely knows that if you weren't at Bradenton for our residency, you really weren't getting a lot of looks into the national team especially at the U17 level where that's really was set up to, to, to develop a, a seven, U17 squad. Um, and so I think really getting rid of that system has really opened up the, the opportunities for other kids to really showcase themselves. And I think it's really only going to amplify how many different faces are seen in these camps um, and how, you know, Bradenson really did, fracture a lot of relationships between certain clubs both domestic and abroad um and the u.s soccer federation so um for me closing that was one of the biggest things they could have possibly done to help develop better players um it it, you know the the academy or the, the the residency had good intentions but i just think it really did hurt our players and hindered them from getting opportunities that they deserved um more so than helping it so it's a good question yeah, good answer I, too. Yeah, I got one for you. Gio Reyna versus Efra Alvarez. Who has the biggest upside and what's their next move? Yedlin Acero asks you. Yeah, good Twitter account, that Yedlin Acero. Yeah. Uh, Efra, he's an otherworldly talent. He is, like we talked about earlier, he scores goals. He shouldn't be able to score. Um, he's He's got the best rate of goal scoring in the entire United Soccer League. At the age of 16, 15, 16, he turned 16 recently. I think Rain is a great player too. And uh, like I said, a great passer. I kind of hope he's on this U20 roster. I don't think he will be, but I, I kind of hope he would be. That's my answer. Efra is the better, is the higher, has the higher upside, but that's, that's not a knock on Reyna. I mean, Alvarez is. I don't know, generational talent is a phrase that I probably shouldn't use, but that's what he seems like to me. Well, we don't know what he's going to be at 26, but at 16, I don't think I've seen many 16-year-olds better than him. I don't think I've seen many 13-year-olds or 14-year-olds better than him. And and I, you know what, I the question's obviously pertinent at this at this point, but I mean, we shouldn't have to choose. We could have both of these guys if we wanted to, you know what I mean? It's not like we have to have one or the other. Uh, we're a big country, and so producing a Gio Reyna and F for Alvarez is okay. And I just wish we could figure out how to play them together more because they used to play together yeah. and it was going well during those times. But yeah. um, Former teammates. Yeah. Bummer. Bummer. You <laughs> <laughs> will say that at the exact same time. How, right. how is the USL as a proving ground for young Americans? Outside oh, of- this, this one's way better for you. Okay. I, I lost my ESPN three account, so I haven't watched many US, much USL. Um, outside the games, I could pirate, but, um, you answer that one. You're better at this than I am. Okay. Well, the question comes from Nicholas Arjona, uh, outside of a player like Adams, have there been any players who have noticeably improved with playing time in USL? 
yes, I think Andrew Carlton has definitely improved with playing time in at USL. I don't know if Richie Ledesma improved. Yeah, he he improved in his five definitely. appearances in USL. He, uh, you know, that first professional appearance is always a little jittery for a guy. And five games in, Ledesma scored a goal and got an assist and was basically running the show. It looked like the best player on the field. So, so yeah, I think it's, I'm not saying it's like a, it's a development factory, like where we want all our players to go to USL so they can keep getting better there, but it's definitely a place, uh, place where growth can happen. And I think the one thing that's maybe doesn't have anything to do with the question, but is, but is it, is pertinent is that USL is a place where players can, uh, What's the word? USL is a place where players can, can can get footage of themselves competing against professionals. It's a great point that uh, clubs in Europe can see, and you got PSV can see. <laughs> yeah, PSV, Freiburg, Bayern. Uh, the, these are these are all potentially examples of that. So. Quick, quick trivia question for the USL fan that you are. Which one of the players that is in the U20 pool has has the most minutes thus far in USL? Because I've calculated it. I believe it's Chris Durkin. Uh, USL. He had he got a lot of minutes with the Richmond Kickers. Who? Uh, let me see. Uh, I'm, how about this year? This year's USL 2018. Is that what it is this year? 2018. Who? What? What player has the most minutes of the whole pool that we've talked about? Because it's it's surprising. Can you can I have can I have one hint? Yeah, it's a player that I would have taken if I would have had more roster availability. He's a left back. Okay, it's uh, is it Sam Vines? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Kind of surprising, no? Does he have a, like a, he, over a thousand minutes? For yeah, the at least last uh, a couple weeks ago I calculated he had over twelve hundred minutes for the for the independence. He's a homegrown. Rapids player, you know, and they have a partnership with Seattle or Charlotte, I think. So, yeah, but you know, I've pirated or seen some of his clips, and uh, you know, he, I, re- I really rate him. But I just I found that surprising that he was the one getting the most minutes. And granted, some of the other guys are bouncing up and down between the MLS and benching and that stuff. Yeah. Not saying he's the best player we have in USL, um, but he's definitely getting minutes, and so that's good. That's better than him going to college or whatever, and or sitting the bench in uh, Colorado right now. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um do you think there's a chance this one's for you. Do you think there's a chance we get Edwin Lara back into the fold this cycle? Does he still rank as one of the US top fullback press prospects? I'm obviously getting ahead of myself here, but would he be a starter at the U20 World Cup next summer? This is a question from Big Soccer. Yeah. Um is there a chance we get him back into the fold for this cycle? I would say no. Is there a chance we get him back in the fold for a full international? I would say yes. Is he one of the top fullback prospects in the pool? Possibly. He just moved from Pachuca to Lyon uh, in uh, Liga Mekis. Um, so there's talent there. Um, he's been a member of the U-17 Mexico World Cup team. He's been in some U-20 Mexico camps, but he seemed to have fallen off there a little bit. 
I don't think it's because he's switching allegiances back to the United States. I don't think he gets in ahead of some of the guys like we've talked about at left back just because those guys are so established. Um, so I don't think he gets into the qualifying roster. I mean, if, if things work quick and he plays well, maybe he gets back into the fold for the World Cup next year because he definitely has quality. Uh, but again, I'll, I'll just have to refer back to my... Um, we don't seem to be doing a very good job with our Latino uh, players at, at a young level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's one of those guys that was really a key member of some of those early uh, Hugo Perez teams uh, with a lot of the guys that are now in the U20 fold. And um, again, we just we lost them when we lost Perez, and uh, we just haven't done a very good job of recruiting them back. So yeah, it's tough. Very depressing. Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to ask me the Virgil Ross Green question? Yeah, uh, Paxton Pomacol's best position is, and that's from Virgil Ross Green. We talked about this earlier. Ten. I think his best position is as a ten. Uh, the question is, is he good enough at that position to justify the spot? And I think that's an open question. I did he make your roster? I forgot. I'm already. I'm sorry. He did not. He, yeah, because uh, he, he made mine, but I don't think he made yours. Okay. Yeah, I dropped him for Reyna, which I'm That's sure fun. I'll get just blasted for by somebody. Um, <laughs> how close – question for you, and I forgot to write down who asked this, but how close are Nyman – that's Moses Nyman, Toure, Dantuma Toure, and Ferreira, Jesus Ferreira, to, gaining, to obtaining citizenship? So Moses Nyman is close – very close to receiving U.S. citizenship. Uh, uh, Torre is currently a U.S. citizen. Boom. And and Ferreira is um, still in the process of that. Haven't gotten an update recently, but that's kind of close. Um, uh, Nyman, I think, is, is very close to securing that, and I don't think we should worry about him obtaining that. I think that'll come sooner than later. So Ferreira has been a guy that I've talked to a lot. Um, he's got a lot of potential, and I know he's working on it, but um, for whatever reason, I just haven't been able to nail him down and get a yes to that answer. But Okay. So, yeah, next one. So many kids are trialing in Europe now. Is that evidence of progress within our system, or just are we hearing about it more because of Twitter I gotta, and, I, and Reddit I, and whatnot? I got to give this question to you. You're, um, you've, been, you've been doing this for a lot longer than me, almost 10 times as long. What's the? That's, that what's sounds the really depressingly is like a big big nerd, but no. I'm okay, okay with let's that. say five times as long. No, well, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think we talked about it a little before. I I, I think that um, there was always secret trials and uh, training sessions going on. That that's always been happening. It's definitely more of a uh, a fun thing for us fans to get into right now and kind of put some of our hopes because we had our hopes dashed all World Cup. Um, to, into some of these young kids and them getting trials at big clubs. So that's been something we've just been aware of more, but it, it, it was always going on. It just wasn't as covered or talked about. Uh, I mean, Christian Pulisic tr- trialed with Barcelona and, and, and PSV and a ton of, ton of programs that uh, I think, you know, obviously some of us are aware of, but that, that was always going on. It just wasn't as publicized anymore. And you and I had talked about it a little bit before we started. Um, I think that that's, I think it's good to talk about those kind of things. Sometimes when guys go on trials, it's definitely a hush-hush type thing. The clubs, either abroad or domestic, don't really want that to be leaked. 
But I think just talking about players and exposing them more, uh, putting their clips on Twitter or Reddit or wherever it would be, I think that's definitely a good thing. The more exposure for players, the better in, in both positive and negative effects. I mean, Adam, you do a great job of, of, of showing great things and, and, and not so great things about prospects. And uh, I don't think it hurts their feelings when you do that, but it, it just grows that the player pool more. It grows those players more and it, and it introduces them to scrutiny that they'll be encountering when they go abroad. Uh, so they need to kind of get, you know, get used to that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, I think the more fans that are into this, um, and the more accounts that put out media and content like this podcast and like you do with your uh, breakdowns is, is definitely a step in the right direction. Cool. Do you, do you think the volume of kids trialing overseas is higher now? Just to I follow do. up on the question? Okay. I do because I, th- I think the DA has really helped. I've, I was a big DA nerd for a number of years looking at rosters and following some of the games and Nike friendlies. And, and the DA has gotten better at scouting players and putting them in the right clubs and helping them elevate to the right spots to now where it's easier for European teams to get on better prospects early to, to get a look at them. So, yeah, I definitely think there's more kids going abroad now. Okay. And, and soccer's cooler. I mean, a 12-year-old now is wearing a Messi jersey instead of a, I don't know, uh, you know, a Bernie Williams Yankees jersey. I'm not even sure why I brought Bernie Williams up, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's just it's just cooler now. So there's more kids involved at a younger level. And I know there was that big article that said we've had a drop in our um, the amount of kids playing soccer. But you know, I, I just think that more kids want to go be a European soccer player than did 10 years ago. Yeah, there no, there aren't many kids wearing underrated center fielders jerseys <laughs> that's true. from the mid 90s that I mean, that bernie what that bernie williams reference amazing i mean amazing to, to, to pull that out to the listener i mean a little bit of i mean it's about one o'clock here in the midwest <laughs> and i've been looking forward to this for like a month with adam so i'm I, i'm i'm not gonna i love doing this right now but yeah, yeah. It's, getting a little, it's getting a little late it's so. getting late we're gonna it's turn into late. pumpkins in here in 12 minutes <laughs> our kids are gonna wake up in like literally four hours so i'm gonna be screwed <laughs> all right we got but let's do three more questions all um, right let's knock them out uh this one's i think for me oh yeah let me let me ask you you're not high on i'm guessing it's timothy tillman because there's a couple tillmans you're not high on timothy tillman why or why not and uh what and what does he bring to the table uh at the u20s and possibly u.s men's national team that we are lacking i haven't seen a lot of timothy tillman but like even his highlight reels he looks like a linear sort of straightforward attacker who who um you know he can have a good shot when he gets a little time and gets gets it on his foot uh it's not it's it wasn't enough to make me excited about him um it reminds me a little bit of julian green uh, a little bit of, in some ways, of Haji Wright without this, you know, size. It's nice to see those guys score score goals and be able to put it in the back of the net when they have time to do it. But that's not what gets us going at Scuff Global Headquarters. We need to say more. <laughs> that's very fair. And I, so I don't, I don't think he brings a lot to the table. He doesn't bring stuff to the table that say like a Yanez or a Carlton or a Ledesma. Uh, brings or even Taitagwe. I think the, I think the green comparison is good. I mean, it sounds lazy because they're both German Americans at Bayern. Right, they're now alone. But I mean, I, I do think that that's kind of where his floor is. I mean, I don't want to say that 
Julian Green's a floor, but I, I think that there's more promise there. I like, I like, I think Timothy Tillman's got some fire in him too. A little okay. bit Jermaine Jones, which again sounds like a lazy comparison, but I think that he's a guy that I don't think would fit in well with the German national team. So I think if he continues to progress, I think that there's there's some opportunity for the U.S. to to steal him back over to our national team. Honestly, speaking of guys who didn't fit don't fit in well with the German national team, it's too bad we couldn't get Leroy Sané to to flip. Uh, I I I have some crazy. So how I find these guys is I literally just ask every youth player I can find that I have any inkling might be an American. And I did. I talked to Leroy Sané, got probably five years ago, and asked him if he was an American, and I got a no, why do you ask? <laughs> and I said, well, I was hoping you would say yes so that you could play for our national team because you sound like you're a pretty good player there at Schalke. He said, well, thank you, but I'm not American. I said, all right. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. You'd like I, before I, now before he was famous. Just oh, to, I, have, I have a lot of those funny stones with guys that are now doing pretty well for themselves. So that's awesome. why you got to catch them when they're got to catch them when they're 17 or 16 years old, and they're all about talking to people on. Twitter or whatever. Yeah, so. that's when they answer their messages. Totally. Um, Christian Pulisic is not answering his Twitter messages anymore, I can guarantee you. <laughs> Christian, come on the podcast. <laughs> um, next question, I think I'm going to give it to you, uh, unless you just reject it. Does the USL have any interest in working out training compensation and or solidarity payments for themselves, regardless of what the MLS is doing? They're starting academy teams. Why can't their kids be good enough to sign and be sold? Uh uh, go ahead. Yeah, I you know I'm all I'm all for I'm all for clubs making money off their investments. So if you're going to invest a lot in a player at, at an academy level, um, and they turn into a product that's worth uh, a club buying you, I'm all for somehow that team being compensated for that because it just is not an American thing to not be compensated for the work you do. Um, with that said, I, I definitely think that there's a lot of uh, market for the American player right now because we're we're good in our players are a good investment because there's no real penalty. I mean, Byron's not you know having to pay the Galaxy a ton for you know any you know Juliana's right now. I mean, it's not like a um, you know it's it's n- high reward, no risk is what I'll say. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. I would like to, I would like to see that work out. I would like to see clubs get compensated for. For the the time and the effort they put into some of their players, I really would, but I don't know how that works, and I'm not a finance guy, so it's a long, long, complicated discussion, and we're, we we can't get into it right now. Yeah, I'm not I'm not at all trained to have that conversation, but you're going to do that sometime. I thought I heard you talking on a podcast that you guys were going to do that. We have ambitions. We have okay. ambitions to. to I really would like to learn. Do it, yeah. I would like you guys to teach me. <laughs> uh. Quickly update on Efra. Did we invite him or have we basically given up? Because I want to I want to take this last one, so I'll give you this one too. Yeah. Um, again, I don't think we invited him. Uh, I reached out to some people I know and asked about that, and I, I know that the, the 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 call would be answered if uh, U.S. were to do it. You know, they would have that conversation. Not saying he would accept, but I think the U.S. could reasonably get him back into the camp. They would have to. They would have to. You know, they would have to humble themselves a little bit, but I think they could do it. And I think he's worth doing it for. Um, but then again, you know, you, you don't want to give a 15 year old too much power, you know, over a federation. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but you know, if, if they feel like they got good things going forward without him, then 
been great. But I, I just, again, his the numbers speak for themselves. If there was any other player producing at his level, we would be bending over backwards for him. Maybe even for the full national team. So um, the fact that we've already kind of seemingly just kind of given up is ridiculous. So It does seem to you like we've given up? Uh, certain aspects of the Federation have. Yeah. Okay. That's why it'll be interesting to see kind of where Ernie Stewart goes with the national team coach and then how the, the, the GM kind of sorts through the rest of the, um, the youth national teams because there's some openings in some of the youth national team spots and some openings in some of the uh, assistant coach spots in those teams where if, if we get the right coaches in there, I think you can bring back some of the players that I, we, we maybe have lost. And I'm not just saying go get uh, Brian Clyburn back in those roles, but I'm, you know if you get players that, that um, cater to some of those talents, then you can bring some of those guys back. So Yeah. Okay. Gonna hit me with then, this yeah, last question. Yeah, what position do you think Giovanni Reyna will end up playing? Do you think Borussia Dortmund would be a good spot for him? Hmm, that sounds interesting. Yes, I do think BVB would be a good spot for him. That's that's the rumor going around the internet that he's gonna that he's gonna end up there when he turns sixteen in November, I believe. And I do think there's a very good chance he'll end up playing as a nine later in his career, particularly if he's still growing. I mean, how many six foot one, six foot two uh, wingers or tens are there in the in the world? Not a lot. And um, I, I guess the one question I have about him being a nine is: does he is he like does he have like the toughness, you know, to go shoulder to shoulder with a center back for ninety minutes? It's a great question. So I think that if if you have that, yeah, if you have that. Uh question germany is a good place to find out if there's an answer so right. if you can get an opportunity like that i think you take it because it's going to make him a much better player yeah he's at a he's at a it seems like he's at a perfect stage to make that uh transition and start learning you know much like pulisic i guess yeah but got to do it at the age of 16 and it and never looked back okay well, joey it's 12.56 a.m. Central Standard Time. <laughs> Let's call it a night. This is the longest podcast in the history of this, in the young history of this podcast. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a real treat. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for putting up with me because I know uh, I had a good time. So thanks yeah, a lot. we're a good match in this. <laughs> we could probably do this for another couple hours if it wasn't 1 a.m. and the kids weren't going to wake up soon. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, good luck to the U20s. Good luck to you, Tab, as you sort this out. Um, hopefully, for those of you who are still listening, thank you for listening. We'll see you.